episode 100. 100. It's a magical number, a mystical number, a powerful number. It evokes images and emotions of strength, longevity, and gravitas. It's a celebrated number, a weighty number, a number that denotes achievement. In the world of podcasting, there have been other shows that have achieved the 100th episode. And those shows have signaled that passing in a myriad of ways. Some shows do a clip episode, looking back at their best material. Some shows mark the occasion by reuniting with past guests or their best friends. Some shows do a live call-in episode or play congratulatory voicemails. Some shows hardly mark the passing at all, while most others do it up really big. And sadly, some shows never make it this far. At Two True Freaks, we are all about honoring our heritage, acknowledging and reveling in the things that make us who we are and earned us our reputation as Two True Freaks. We cling to our uniqueness and cherish our individuality. And so, in the spirit of independence and originality, in celebration of our 100th episode, Two True Freaks is very proud to present an episode unlike anything you have ever heard before. Indeed, this stunt has never been attempted in the history of the podcast medium. We ask at this time that small children, pregnant women, and those with weak constitutions please leave the headphones. Please do not attempt this at home. We are professionally trained podcasters. And now, for your enjoyment, ladies and gentlemen, we give you... Drum roll, please. The phone book. Camera recording. I was just joking. Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes and I am here with my great friends. I'm going to just say their names real quick and then they can say hi really quick. We got Tim Elliott. We got hi. John Hyatt. We got hey. David Thompson. Hi, really quick. We have guest star Gene Hendricks. Hello, all. And special guest star. Wait a second. A special guest star? A special guest star. A special guest star. We really need to pull out all the stops. Hit it. Nigel Spick. Say hi, Nigel. Hi, Konnichiwa. And we'll have Kirk Greenfield joining us in just a very few minutes. Um, Tim, you want to kind of talk about what we're going to cover today? Oh, we had a plan? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll just talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we thought we finally made it to episode 100. We thought we'd do something special. And I'd like to give that credit to... Our special guest, Rick. Nigel. Slash Nigel. Nigel. And I'm sorry. Nigel. I, I meant to call you Nigel, but I looked at your thing on Skype and I said Rick. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
And mm-hmm. Nigel is coming to us from the land of the, is it the rising sun. That's He's it. coming to us all the way can from we, Japan. Can we say that? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I think we can say that. Just said it. Um, yeah. I just said it. <laughs> We've been canceled. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Finally, now Nigel had we had he had been writing into us quite heavily, so we thought as you know we set a precedent with David and John and Kirk said, well, if you write in enough, we're going to invite you on the show. So we thought, well, we got a, episode one hundred yeah. coming up. We get Don't Nigel say on. That. Don't say that, then we'll get less letters. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't and, want to be a part of this. <laughs> Nigel had suggested we do with the Project Pegasus uh, six-parter from Marvel 2-on-1. And we thought, that's a brilliant idea. Let's get this guy in the show. Because it gives so us the opportunity we'll be covering. Not, not just to discuss the burn work, but also the work of George Perez. True. And we have we had kind of been covering some of his stuff. Uh, since his passing. So we'll be doing issue 53 through 58. Uh, and each of us has got, got its own issue. We're going to do our little synopsis as we normally do. But uh, we don't, we do a, 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 a little extra. This is, I think of it as a foil covered holographic stamp, double issue, just like you'd get the nineties. You know, we're going to charge twice the price. You're probably going to get about, you know, half the quality. So it's like an annual, <laughs> this is an annual. Yeah, exactly. It's an annual. Extra sized. King sized. King sized. King sized. We're, we're going to go through this really quick. We're not going to uh, doing page by page art. We'll t- talk about individual things we think are really cool, but it's not going to be the page by page granular, you know, dig into it kind of thing. Because there's Aww. a lot to cover. A lot to cover. Six issues, and you know, some people have, have less time to do this than others. And as as we start to prattle on, you're going to hear that sound. <laughs> That's the sound you're going to hear. And I'm sure also Kirk will probably bring up his uh, cowbell because you know cowbell. you can always use more cowbell. But uh, more cowbell. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's that's well, what we're doing. Now, there's a couple things we do need to... I got a fever. The only cure is cowbell. <laughs> yes. The, um, there are a couple things we do need to discuss before getting into it. We discussed it a little bit uh, in our She-Hulk coverage, but uh, yesterday was the last official day of X-Men Elswin being published on John Byrne's site, burnrobotics.com. Uh, the, the last issue, the 32nd issue, was put out. Um, it's still mid-story. He didn't finish the storylines. He just got into the doldrums, and it's not he's not feeling the want or need, the itch, to continue writing. Now, people are writing into his website, sending him messages saying, you know, they, they want him to continue. They're saying, you know, they, we love your work and all that, and, they, you know, please do this. And all that's really doing is making him get more upset. So he's asking everybody to just understand, for the time being, it's over. And not, not to mention everyone like, oh, you should let Marvel print it. Get Marvel to print it. It's like, dudes, come on. This is a four-year-old discussion. <laughs> yeah, not not, not going to happen. Not going to happen. But, you know, that's, that, as I say, is, is that. Um, beyond that, his normal activity on his website is what it is. You know, he talks about various things, what he's been watching on TV and movies lately and, you know, the different Lego projects he's coming across and whatnot. He's... Still as friendly as ever. So take that for what you will. Um, but, uh, yeah. And by friendly, we mean like the outside of a pineapple friendly. 
Well, no, I mean, the thing is, if you treat him with respect and, uh, you know, talk friendly, he's going to talk friendly. Just don't play the fool, because he does not suffer fools lightly. David, you mean prickly on the outside, but sweet and juicy on the inside? That's where I was going with it. Thanks, Tim. Virtual high five. (laughs) Uh, There was something else I thought that we wanted to bring up real quick, and I forget now what it is. Ah. Well, I I think we since we have two guest stars, Mm -hmm. one that's been on the show before and one that is never. Right. We're going to call him our super fan. Um, Let's let's go with uh, we'll we'll go with uh, Nigel first because we. You know, he's written to us, but we've never spoke with him yet. So, Nigel, why don't you tell us kind of, you know, what your kind of quick backstory in, in comics and how did you get into Burn and just give us yeah. kind of. Yeah. OK. Uh, so. All right. Well, I'm originally from Britain, by the way, as well. Um, what? No. Yeah. I would never have guessed. <laughs> and uh, yeah comic reading yeah i started reading comics around about five years old um with british comics especially tv 21 i don't know if any of you know that one not familiar uh, with it. the <laughs> stories were basically about all the jerry anderson series like oh, oh my Thunderbirds, captain scarlet etc you and andrew Layling could just have hours and hours of conversation <laughs> i don't know if you're familiar with his shows but he loves all oh. that stuff uh, yeah yeah I, I used to think it was great at the time yeah and um, i still do some of it uh and i read other comics too and i was reading a comic called smash around about the time when I was seven, eight years old. And that just had the kind of -of run-of-the-mill British uh, stories, you know, usually one or two pages a week. And then one particular issue, um, there was a Hulk story running in it. So they gave us about five or six pages uh, of the story all at once, which was like, whoa, great, this, because I'd never seen so many pages for, like, one single story before. And I liked that. And they ran a couple of Hulk stories, and then they ran some Avengers. Uh, the first Avengers I ever read was number two, which was reprinted in this comic. Hmm. Um, and then shortly after that, let's say a few months later, they actually brought out comics uh, with just the Marvel stories in them. They're called Fantastic and Terrific. Now, were those the weekly books that were coming out that yes. were chopped up yeah. from the book? Like yeah. reprints, yeah, weekly, yeah. And so I started buying those, and that's how I got into Marvel, uh, and then continued to buy the comics like that. And then they released Mighty World of Marvel around about late 69, early 70, which was more of the same thing. Black and white reprints of all the stories, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, etc. Um, and then I started to find where I could buy the actual American comic books in Britain. It was hard to get hold of them in the area where I lived at first. Um, It was like a market stall that had them. Uh, But you had to get there to, you know, at the right time to pick them up. Otherwise, yeah, you'd miss them. Someone else had bought them and that was it. Oh, man. And they only had a few few copies of each title. 
but yeah, I got into it. I found a guy who was selling the comics, and I said, you know, look, if you if you keep them for me, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I promise I will be here like regularly. I will buy them from you. So he did that. He was kind enough to do that, and so that's how I started to get into the actual American comic books, the colored comic books. Yeah. Now, those uh, compilation series, did they were they magazine size? Because I started collecting some of the uh, the UK version of GI Joe, and it's called Action Force, uh-huh. but it's a, a magazine size. Yeah, no, the the ones I'm talking about were the the like the American ones exactly. It's just the price that's different. Um, so they were the, they were the real thing, as it were. Uh, the, the reprinted ones, yeah, the black and whites were like a, more of a magazine size, the British ones that were weekly. And, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Well, so when did I first come and find about, about Burn? Uh, I always think that the first Burn I saw was probably Marvel Team-Up. Um, but then I always forget that... Again, going back to the black and whites, I had seen his Iron Fist. I just didn't know it was him at the time because they didn't always put the names of the artists and and writers on there. So, yeah, my earliest work of Burns that I saw was Iron Fist. Some of those early stories like where he meets Iron Man and such like. And he had a story where he was in London. I remember seeing the there was a battle in the post office tower, I think it was. Man, I don't remember that. It was one of the early ones. Yeah. Something like number five, four or five, something like that. So I'd already read Iron Fist, but I didn't realise at the time that was John Byrne. And then when I started getting Marvel team up, I think probably the first story from fifty nine sixty, the one with Spider Man and Yellow Jacket and the Wasp. Fun story. Uh, Equinox. And I thought, yeah, I uh, I like this artwork. Oh, yeah. yeah, this is good. And, and of course, I was just at the beginning of that run that he did in Marvel Team-Up. So I made sure I bought all those on a regular monthly basis. I got all those. Yeah. And then from there, of course, then he came on to X-Men, and yeah, the rest is history, really. After that, I was looking for his stuff whenever and wherever I could get it. <laughs> and also, I, and I like Perez too. I'd already come across Perez's artwork from Avengers, from the, was it about number 140? Yeah. I read his first story. Yeah, that was a great time because uh, he was doing Avengers and Justice League. Yeah. And so, yeah. Just went on from there, and I was then fully into collecting them, the, the Marvel comics, and most of them too. Yeah. Uh, so what you're saying is you're not very familiar with the work. <laughs> no. <laughs> I remember one or two things. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I've been, well, and I enjoyed getting Marvel on a regular basis right up to the mid '90s. Uh, when I felt they started to, shall I say, let me down. Uh, Go off the boil. 
from the beginning of the 90s onwards, I seemed to be just cancelling uh, issues all the time until I was down to about only about two or three titles a month. Yeah. Yeah, that, that seems to fit for a lot of people in our age range is that they seem to kind of fall off and then they pick back up. Yeah. Some pick back up in the late yeah. 90s. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, at the time, I didn't really know what was going on at Marvel. So it was just a case of I would buy the comics mm -hmm. and see something I didn't like, and I'd just be thinking, why are they doing this? <laughs> why are they ruining this character or whatever? Or why have they got rid of this artist or writer or whatever? I didn't know what was going on. Um, but then just more recently, over the last few years, um, they brought out a book about the battle between DC and Marvel. Um, I just forgot what they call it. Is it Sucker Punch or something like that? Uh, anyway, in there, it tells the history of Marvel and DC and their ongoing struggle and fight with one another. And so it gives you details of who came and who went, who was in charge at any one time. And when I found out about what was going on uh, upstairs, if you like, in Marvel at that time, I thought, ah, oh, well, these are the, some of the reasons why were answered for me. You know, it, it wasn't necessarily yeah. the writers that just wanted to suddenly change things or the artists that were leaving that... It was basically the people that were in charge. Slugfest was the name of the book. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah Slugfest. Slugfest, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Uh, it was more about the people in charge, and they didn't really know anything about comics. They were just hired because they were business people. And well, it, sounds like, it sounds yeah. like they basically ruined everything. <laughs> I think it'd be, you could say that's what's kind of going on with Hollywood now, maybe, but right. anytime I think business and art mix up, they don't, yeah. they have different mm -hmm. uh, goals. Yeah. So it doesn't always mesh. There was one name, was this somebody called Jemis was in charge late nineties. Uh, and he sounded like a bit of a dick. What was it? It was like, what, 95, 96 when Marvel yeah, came back? Yeah, from about that time. Yeah, uh, that was Bill, yeah. Bill Jemis. Um, yeah, and, and Quesada. Um, it sounds like they ruined things quite a bit, <laughs> in my opinion. Well, the, the opinion's as valid as any others, that's for sure. And, and Quesada <laughs> did some things that really rubbed people the wrong way, and he's, you know, the one that's yeah. centrally most responsible for Byrne leaving Marvel altogether. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, Bill Jemis, I, yeah, I know he was big with the Fleer, Fleer, which was like the company that made all the trading cards and such. Yeah. Um, mm, yeah. But also part of that was when, was it they were bought by a makeup company in the 90s, and or Ron Perlman, not the one from Beauty and the Beast and all the great movies, but... Hellboy. <laughs> uh, yeah. But and then of course the the speculator market, Image Comics, and that boom that happened, and all the lenticular covers and all the crazy stuff. Uh, hey, all, hey, all hey, hey, lenticular didn't come out until uh, twenty twelve. Yeah, 
2013. Okay. Like, that's Sorry, not... the 3D covers, don't the foil embossed, yeah. the, the, you know, yes. all the other crazy Hologram. stuff. Right. Hologram. Holographic. Holographic. That's right. Hologram. Yeah, holographic. Somebody mentioned yeah. lenticular last night, so that was on my mind, so excuse me. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's... That... I like lenticular covers, actually. Hmm. Well. Thicker cardstock on the outside, but that's I'm a discussion. I'm paying more money. I don't want to have to pay more. I just want the book. Well, Brian, they they always make a non, you know, fancy cover. You can you could have gotten the regular cover. Okay. Uh, what else? They had oh, they had a they had a just real quick they had, they had a they had a booth at Mitsuricon that was had guy had some pretty expensive comics just sitting out. There was nobody behind the booth. I mean, there was nobody watching it. And they had a she Hulk, Savage She-Hulk number one signed by Stan Lee mm-hmm. that they wanted $2,500 for. It wasn't even slabbed. Hmm. And there was nobody about We could have just walked off with it. There was nobody watching this stuff. An Sorry. Interesting anecdote. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> Tim, Tim's visions of becoming rich off <laughs> stealing right. comics at a trade show. That's Yep. No, I was just choking uh, there, so I couldn't speak up. But it's probably a good idea that I didn't speak up because I would, you know, I'm wrestling. Still. Well, you're not supposed to be eating hot dogs, Brian. Actually, it's a hamburger, dogs. but I wasn't going to say anything. But no, it's just you know, I'm torn. I, I always think of that moment when we found the extra PlayStation in the trunk of the car last year, and Christopher, before I can say anything or do anything, says we have to return it. I'm so proud of him. Man, come on! Did he tell him to shut up in the car? <laughs> and yet, so like, don't a, tell a, your mother. A, 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 a <laughs> She-Hulk worth how much? Worth how much? Uh, nah, nah, I would never do that. But you know, anyway, Tim, you were saying. Well, I was going to say, uh, Gene. Now, Gene's been on, been a guest on the show before, but let's explain. I mean, I'm sure you're a fan of John Byrne, but that's not really the reason why you're on this show, is it, Gene? No. You're here I, for somebody else. Yes, I'm here for the Kevin Bacon of the Marvel Universe, <laughs> as Adam and I like to call him, and that would be the superhero known as Quasar, who, interestingly enough, just changed his name to Quasar in his appearance right before this first issue. He used to be known as Marvel Man, but then in Incredible Hulk 232, he got knocked Basically, the Hulk knocked him silly into a, a crowd. Kid asked him, hey, what's your name? He said, Marvel Man, and they everyone around him laughed. <laughs> so a few issues later, he said, oh, no, my name's Quasar now. I'm going off to Project Pegasus. Bye. <laughs> hey, that's bullying, and we don't support that. That's right. And you, you also do, a, is it the Quantum Cast? So if you want to learn more about Quasar... Yes, uh, Adam Worth and I do the Quantum Cast. We started with Quasar issue number one and proceeded forward. And I can't remember the issue that we got to when basically the the, the two guys in their mid forties said, "You know, we have lives outside of this. <laughs> and we just don't have time." <laughs> yeah, and those have been nineties comics. Pod right? fading is a yeah. real yeah, start, start. real affliction. Pod fading affects many podcasters over the years. For only pennies a day, you can support those who have pod faded. Yep. Yeah, well, let me ask you this, Gene, if I, I may I'm misremembering. Was it Quasar that jumped into the new universe universe and yes. interacted with those characters? Yeah, Quasar went into the new universe and actually came back to the 616 universe with the star brand. Okay. I thought he – I remember reading it was when he jumped into the – it was long after the universe had ended. 
Yeah, yeah, he came back. He had he had used the star brand in the new universe because his quantum bands weren't working, and that enabled him to jump back to the regular universe. But it happened just so happened that it was underneath his quantum band, so he didn't know he still had it with him. And through shenanigans, he ended up transferring it to his girlfriend, who suddenly became super powerful, and there was a whole mess going on with that. That is way too long. Gina, was that kind of like how Savage She-Hulk number one signed by Stanley ended up under Tim's briefcase? (laughs) Allegedly. 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 Just kidding, folks. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to make sure in case that, that guy decides to say, hey, I'm missing my She-Hulk. And Tim's been talking about that and everyone. So, no, no, we're just kidding. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Gene. No problem. Uh, so, yeah, I'm. this is still very early in Quasar's career and makes it very interesting for me, knowing how it progresses and seeing all the retcons that they do on page 14 of the first issue that we're going to cover. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hey, and it, so, Gene, um, so, and Quasar, a.k.a. Marvel Man, was really a, is, is he a different character from Marvel Boy from the 50s, or? Yes, uh, what happens in, uh, with the Marvel Boy from the 50s is he had the same uh, energy-transforming quantum bands that Quasar has, but when they when Stan Jack brought him back in Fantastic Four, he was nuts. He his father had died, he just went completely bananas and ended up disintegrating himself, leaving the quantum bands behind. Then Wendell Vaughn, who is Quasar, or not Bob Grayson, who is Marvel Boy, gets the quantum bands and finds out also happens oh, crap, to be can't take off. <laughs> Well, <laughs> blonde. They gave him the Blue exact eyes. same suit that Marvel Boy had. Shield wasn't really thinking. <laughs> we only have so many colors of ink, so we can't. You know, we have to use them sparingly. Yes. There was a there was a revival of Marvel Boy in uh, I think early two thousands. There was like a six issue miniseries, and he was one of the agents of Atlas. Mm, okay, and Jane, true or true or false? Uh, Quasar is not a Green Lantern ripoff. That is very true. He is not a Green Lantern ripoff because he is much more powerful than Green Lantern. And that um, you take that back. <laughs> <laughs> now the Hulk issue where he got the name change that was a Roger Stern book, though, wasn't it? I believe it was. Yeah, it was like uh, Roger Stern check. and Sal Basima, I think we're doing the. Yes, it was. Yep. All right. Well, it's ironic because we have a name change and this the issues we're going to cover tonight. Yep, that's right. And what yep. issues are we going to cover, Tim? Yeah, let's move on. Well, hold on. Let's before we, before well, we move on, we got to say hello to Kirk. Kirk, you're here, right? Yes, finally. Welcome. welcome. Hello, Only Kirk. 40 minutes to get to load the app. Unbelievable. But, well, we're, We'd appreciate we're, it if yeah, you show up to work on time, Kirk. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's on vacation. Just time for your book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, We're have a GoFundMe to get Kirk a new computer. <laughs> and a quieter fan. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so are we ready to start this, or... Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I think you have the first book. Yeah, and, right, and, Brian? and before you know, before I get into that, that stuff, I just want to make sure everybody understands the that this part of the series was very early on in the careers of both Mark Runewald and Ralph Macchio. 
And that's not the Karate Kid. No Karate Kid jokes. Let's leave that be, okay? Um, and By the way, Little David would have been about five months old when these books came out. Who? Me. Oh, you would have been five years old. But five months. Five months old. Okay, because, wow. yeah. Well, you act like a five-year-old right now, so. <laughs> well, listen here, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> I will punch you right in the peanuts. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. We um, the this was like the the book that or this series of books was the reason that Byrne coined the term art robot because uh, Grunwald and Macchio were so uh, protective of the story and everything they really didn't want the, any extra input. And so Byrne found it to be an uninteresting job after a couple issues, and he decided he didn't want to work on it anymore, which is why he left the book, because he just didn't have any input, and he wanted to stretch his wings out. I mean, because at the same time he was doing this, he was working on X-Men and um, one other book. Avengers, was that? Yeah, Avengers. Wings? <laughs> Avengers, yeah. That was, and, and, and he was getting to... Uh, you know, never enough, John. Offer, you know, offer up ideas and things. In fact, a lot of them came to fruition in the Avengers that came out this month. But we'll get to that in a little bit. But that, that's the thing. Is that, you know, he, he wasn't really enjoying the job. He did what he had to do, but he was just solely the art robot. And so, you he know... He's tired of hearing, stay your lane, burn. Yeah. So he was quiet quitting back before there was even a term. Well, I, I think he just didn't re-up, but I mean, the thing is, is like, I mean, what did he start doing right after that? Because he kept busy. Uh, they were glad to give him other work. So, like, after he left that with, uh, what was it, 56 or 55? 55. I'm looking. Yeah, 55 is his last issue that it goes to. George. Find, okay, there we are. Which, by the way, is in my very heavy Marvel Omnibus, uh, Marvel Universe by John Byrne, Volume 2, uh, does include uh, Marvel 2 and 1, uh, 43, 50, and 53 through 55. And this is the bigger of the two. Volume 1 is a little lighter. This is definitely a wrist breaker. Vagrant killing book, as Andy Layla says. <laughs> yes, this is a this is a heavy one. Well, I guess between seven and eight pounds, at least. Yeah, this gave him the opportunity uh, after leaving that book to go work on the Fantastic Four. So he was working with whatever writer was handling at the time. I think I'm trying to remember who that was. I'm not sure. And um, you know, uh, Joe Sinnott, of course, was doing the inks there as well as he did for these three issues that uh, Byrne covered. I think it was Dave Chappelle. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me go ahead and get the particulars out for this book. Okay, so we're talking about the first one, which is Marvel Com a Marvel Two and One Number Fifty Three. It's got a cover date of July nineteen seventy nine, an on sale date of April third nineteen seventy nine, with a cover price of forty cents, uh, page count of thirty two, but I think uh, ten. Uh, gosh, several what, fifteen pages of ads. Yeah. Yeah, but what a ripoff! Okay, Forty you, cents. The, the page, the, well, the the story was only seventeen pages, but there was one extra page in the book where Mark Grunwald had put together that diagram of Project Pegasus in issue fifty-three. So yeah, if you look at this in Marvel Unlimited, it's I think most of them are like eighteen pages. It's not it's 
not very much. Uh, yeah, and this is standard for the day. You now, when they're getting ready to raise the prices, I know DC started putting eight pages of extra story in the back, but uh, Marvel. I don't think Marvel did that. Uh, writer for this uh, issue was. Uh, well, they also charged you an extra dime. Yeah, it was fifty cents a month then. Yep. Uh, writer was Mark Grunwald and Ralph Macchio. Penciler John Byrne. Anchor Joe Sinnott. Letterer Diana Albers. And colorist was Bob Sharon. And this has been reprinted many, many times. Thing, Project Pegasus Saga, trade paperback back in 88. The Essential Marvel 2-in-1, Volume 3. Uh, Marvel Masterworks, number 127, which is a Deathlock Volume 1 hardcover that came out in 2010. And they did several thing, Project Pegasus hardcovers and softcover books. And then Marvel Tales Annihilation, number one. Uh, the cover is by John Byrne with Inker Joe Sinnott. And in July 1979, as we spoke of earlier, Byrne worked on three different books. And I think this is really interesting because looking at the books and the inkers that he had in each of them kind of gives you an idea of, you know, the differences in, in, in the inkers of the day. Marvel 2 and 1 was obviously Joe Sinnott, uh, who was very uh, religious to the Marvel house style. And so he kind of adjusted the uh, the penciler's work to fit that, especially on Fantastic Four. But you see it a little bit here in 2 and 1. The Avengers 185, which is the yesterday's quest, that's where uh, Wanda and Pietro are finding out about where they were born in Wondergore Mountain, and you kind of start getting the idea that Magneto might be related to them in some way. And then Uncanny X-Men 123, inked, of course, by Terry Austin. Oh, the Avengers was inked by Dan Green, who I think is an excellent inker on Burn in the early days. We saw him a little bit in Iron Fist, I think. But as you look at the three inkers on, on Burn in those days, you can see that there's a, a definitive difference in the three, and I prefer. Well, I mean, most people prefer Terry Austin uh, as the anchor, and what he did on X Men was so detailed and so crisp. Dan Green was no slouch, um, and you know his, his work always kind of highlighted the the penciler's strengths. So it was very faithful to the penciler and didn't change it too much. And then Joe Sinnott was very faithful to the house style, and it almost seemed to remove things from the pencils. I think. Uh, especially, you know, in the Fantastic Four, maybe not so much here in this, but uh, I find that uh, the other two were superior in the inks. But that's just my personal preference. So before I go into it, did you guys have any comments on that? Or have I been talking this entire time with the mute button on? Brian, are you still there? <laughs> Don't do that to me, got you. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um... If you don't have any comments on it, I'll go ahead and give the synopsis. Now, I pulled the synopsis from the Marvel Wiki. I know that seems lazy, but so am I. Um, <laughs> and here we go. Um, <clears throat> feeling guilty that he has neglected his adopted son, Wondar, the Thing decides to pay a visit to Project Pegasus to see if the young man has recovered from his coma since being exposed to the energies of the Cosmic Cube. After passing the security screening, he's granted access and given a priority access card. When he meets Quasar, the new chief of security, Ben mistakes him for the Crusader, an insane, an insane Uranian superhero which the Fantastic Four previously battled and thought dead. And he's talking about Marvel. Was that Marvel Boy or Marvel Man? It was Marvel Boy, wasn't it? That was Marvel Boy, Yeah, yes. okay. 
after a brief scuffle, Quasar reveals he's really Wendell Vaughn, whose father had recovered the Crusaders' quantum bands following his death and gave them over to his son. With the misunderstanding cleared up, Quasar takes Ben to see Wondar. Along the way, Ben runs into Thomas Leitner, who seems innocent enough but gives Ben the creeps. For good reason. However, um, however, because after two, the two heroes leave Leitner's presence, he calls in his mysterious employer and tells his master at an organization called the Nth Command to initiate the next phase of a fiendish plot. Meanwhile, in Manhattan, Thundra is walking the streets when it says he, it should be a she, runs into a muscle-bound man threatening the wrestling promoter Herkemeyer J. Oglethorpe. Easily beating the ruffian, Oglethorpe decides to offer her a career in the wrestling league, which he promotes. Back at Project Pegasus, Quasar takes things thing to Wondar's room and explains that since the man-child has been exposed to the cosmic cube, he's been living... Um, been a, li- a living sponge, absorbing energy in his vicinity, even the thing's own strength. Trying to rouse the boy doesn't work, so the two decide to retire for the night to check in on the boy's status in the morning. As they try to rest, Leitner knocks out some guards and allows Nth Command operative, the cyborg Deathlock, entry into the compound. Unable to sleep, the thing decides to pace around the compound looking for a good poker game. Lost in thought, he's unaware that he is walking right into the waiting aim of Deathlock, who's programmed to kill anyone who gets in his way. Story continued, next issue. All right, so there you are. Nicely done. Well, again, I was reading someone else's thing, kind of adjusting to the things that they got wrong. But hey, you know, it is what it is. Uh, All in all, a fun story. Uh, You know, just a a nice uh, intro into the whole thing and into into Project Pegasus if you never really heard of it. Uh, I've, I've read all these stories before, but um, it'd been a while since I'd gone through them, so it was a nice to to come back and read these again. I really enjoyed uh, going over the whole thing. Yeah, this is my first time. I, I, I think I owned one copy of 2-in-1. That was issue 50 that Byrne did with the time travel story and other than that it just they, they didn't appeal to me so i never read any of them so i this was all new to me you didn't like yeah i'm with you i've j- just read that for the first time recently and really loved it so i'm surprised this this really wasn't my bag either um back when i was getting books out of the 25 and 50 cent bins they always just well, seemed like kind of yeah. throwaway stories you know yeah and i i'm I like the Fantastic Four. I like Ben Grimm. It just was. It felt like a, you know, I love Mar- uh, Marvel team up because I'm a Spider-Man fan. But this felt like, well, it's like the the poor cousin to Marvel team up, and I'm not going to bother reading it's, it. Well, it. It's it, like it's like the meme of like we have whatever at home, and instead of getting Marvel team up, you get two and one. No. <laughs> I think you know, and, and again, there's that that contrived storyline kind of thing to get them to team up with with other characters now. In, in, the, in the case of these six issues, after you get past the contrivance of the first issue, the rest of it flows pretty well. But the contrivance is that Ben signs up to, to work security for them so he can visit Wondar. And, I mean, it's, at points he refers to him as like a long-lost son, a nephew, yep. a close friend. And it's it's hard to to really gauge where he was at on that. I mean, it's just someone that was close that he felt close to, 
but you know, I mean, it's his uncle. Ben, he's his uncle Benji. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, is like after that, in the Fantastic Four books themselves, especially during the Burn era, I don't recall ever a mention of him. But I could be wrong. Well, he's well as we find out at the end of the story, he's he's moved on. You know, Wondar has moved on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think this lasted very long after that. I don't I don't really recall it having, as I was reading it at the time, and I was a little bit older than David was at that time. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think it was just good for the Marvel two-in-one book while Wondar was there and Pro- Project Pegasus was part of the background of Marvel two-in-one. But once Marvel two-in-one probably got a new writer change and they kind of moved away from that whole thing, it just kind of faded into the background. It's a horrible name for a superhero, by the way. Like Wondar, or very, yeah, Wondar. Well, he changed it within five well, I, issues. Yeah. Well, I didn't know anything about Wondar, and I so I read. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Uh, I'm, yeah, I know. I'm the only one who didn't know. So I read up. No. I read up on him. No. Wondar, <laughs> Angar, the Screamer. I mean, there's a whole run of forgettable names and. Well, there's a Solar. Here. In here, yep, yep. Uh, he's kind of a Superman ripoff. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. They called him a Superman panache or a pana- uh, pashish. Pashish, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Pashish of Superman. <laughs> Welcome to cocktails and comics. This is in cocktails and comics, and we got a guest here. We got two guests here. Well, I am. Well, it's cocktails and comics for me. Well, we should let the guest speak. Saturday up, night, Nigel. What did you did you have any yes. thoughts on on the first issue there? Or do you, do you have any specific yeah. memories? Yes. Well, I, I remember, yeah, I, I didn't buy Marvel 2-in-1 that much. As you say, it was kind of like a, a poor relative to uh, Timo. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember seeing this particular issue, and the, yeah, the cover was really good, kind of sucked me in. You know, I had to buy this. looked action-packed. Um, and I enjoyed the story. I can understand you were saying that it might be a little bit confusing to people who didn't read this issue, uh, this title, on a regular basis. Yeah. Because if you hadn't read Marvel 2 in 1 which I hadn't at the time, uh, you know, you've got Ben thinking about Wonder, and you, and you know, so you're like, as reader, you're thinking, so what happened to this kid called Wonder? You know, um, but I pretty much got the idea that yeah, that's why Ben had taken the security job because he wants to see what's happening with Wonder. Uh, and I enjoyed this story. Well, of course, you've got Burn artwork as well, so. Great visually, mm-hmm. and I like I like Sinnet on Burn. I know a lot of people say, you know, uh, well, he, because he's um, sort of doing the house style, if you like, that they may think that it ruins Burn's artwork. But I, I don't think so. I like the finished look of Sinnet on Burn. I agree. Yeah, I, I think fact, this one is is. Uh better representative of Burns pencils than say yeah. his In fantastic fact, I like Yeah, I like the way he draws thing here with Sinnet Sinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More than I like 
Burns thing when he's inking it himself. It's something he did with the head of the thing, you know, that Byrne did, that I don't like as much as here, where he's got these, where he's got those classic eyebrows, if you want to call them that, if you know what I mean. And Burns sort of took those away and, like, molded them more he, into he made a straight line. Shape. Yeah, when, when... Yeah, and I, I don't like that as much as... He, this is more like the John Buscema... Uh, orange teddy bear thing, as they refer to it. Yeah, and that was more. But I like. Wasn't that more George's this is style? The thing I always. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Was, sorry. Wasn't that really more George? More George Perez's model of the thing that that Byrne was, yeah. was doing here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you mention, yeah, as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. More like a Perez thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, when Byrne was doing. Go ahead, John. I was going to say, th- this is what we were used to at the time. Yeah. So, I mean, me as a 13, 14-year-old kid, I mean, this was who I expected the thing to look like mm-hmm. uh, from his book, from this book, from from everything. I mean, this is, this is just how we expected him to look. So I think, well, I think that, that falls into what uh, Brian was saying about house style. This is, you're right, this is how... Like the model sheet probably said, this is how the thing looks. Yeah. Um, and to your point, Nigel, when when Burns started doing regularly on Fantastic Four, he kind of softened, didn't soften him, but he took away his muscle tone. He was yeah. kind of just one shape. He didn't have defined pecs or biceps and things like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if not, you yeah. remember from 232 to uh, the, the point where Franklin, or not Franklin, but uh, Reed puts him, turns him back into the older version Mm-hmm. He was going by the older model. It wasn't until it was lumpy. It was lumpy. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't until Franklin reformed him that he started taking on the the newer appearance, the newer model mm-hmm. that, that Byrne had come up with. Because he had redone Reed, making him thinner and not so much this muscle bound thing that he was. And same thing with Johnny. Uh, mm-hmm. every, everybody's model got adjusted, but early on, two thirty two to to the some of those later. You know those earlier issues. It was still the older model, I think. Yeah. So, Gene, yeah. what do you think? Unless Nigel has more thoughts. I was just gonna say, you know, as I say, so I like the artwork and everything. I like the look of the thing. Um, I, if I can, I, there were one or two things I just wanted to mention. Particular panels. I know we're not going through every page, but yeah, on on page twenty seven, I like the picture of the thing's close up face with his cigar. <laughs> there, that was a classic picture. I don't know whether you can. Yeah, no, that's a good one. So and the, the and the the panel yeah. directly below it with a close up of Deathlock's eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of almost burnt skin look around his <laughs> and. Uh, I was just going to say, there are one or two pictures. On page six and page ten, there's this guy called, is it Myron? I forgot his name. Let me just find his name. This guy was one of the commissioners. Myron Wilburn. That's it, yeah. Myron Wilburn. Yeah, at the bottom of page six on the left-hand panel, and then on the right-hand top panel on page 10 in my comic anyway he's in he's, he's slightly in the background yep. and he's colored with is colored with yellowy fair hair 
And on those two pictures where they've given him the fair hair, he reminds me of Jasper Sitwell <laughs> from S.H.I.E.L.D. I was thinking more Walter Lingowski. Like, he looks like Jasper Sitwell to me. Hmm. Yeah. I can see both. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can. Yeah, there's Lankowski too. Yeah. These were the days before Lankowski, though, weren't they? Yes. <laughs> now, what I thought was interesting is on page 14, the top yeah. right uh, corner panel is just a face shot of, of Quasar. Right. And yeah. it, I, I'd swear that Joe Rubenstein had inked that. Uh, be like early Joe Rubenstein. So I wonder if he was in Sinnott's uh, stable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would be. Yeah, it's a nice picture. Yeah, because there are uh, other images that also remind me of Rubenstein. But Rubenstein, uh, I guess, was it before or after this that uh, Byrne worked on Captain America and Rubenstein did those inks? Uh, I want to say that was, uh, was that before? Well, no, it was after. So, yeah. Well, on that same page, 14, which is the flashback where Quasar is basically given his little history, the bottom two panels, left and center, he's talking about how his dad got, you know, the marble boy blew himself up. He's got the band, so his dad is to study him. They, the guy's got, like, a hazmat suit on. He's behind a protective barrier. He's got Waldos infesting any of then the very next panel is like, hey, son, come here, put these on. <laughs> There's no, it's like, no caution. And then it's like, okay. oh, we can't take them off. Do you remember the retcon I was talking about before? <laughs> That's one of them. Uh, so basically what happens in Quasar number one in 1989 is Gruenwald says, okay, that's kind of sort of what happened, but. Apparently, it wasn't Stark so much that got the bands to experiment on him. It was S.H.I.E.L.D. And Gilbert Vaughn worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, Wendell Vaughn was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent at the time in charge. Uh, well, he was part of the security detail of the bands. AIM attacks. The previous guy, the test, quote unquote, test pilot they had for the bands, had gone and pulled a Crusader and blown himself up. So to prevent AIM from getting them, Wendell puts them on and fights back and then finds out, oh, he is able to just go with the flow so the energy doesn't build up and make him explode. <laughs> that so, makes more sense. It, yeah, but it still technically fits into these two panels. <laughs> so, Gene, the bottom right corner of uh, page 14 with the yeah. flashback, the uh, super agencies working with. Is that Texas Twister on the left, and who are these folks? The Okay, so yes, that is Texas Twister, and the other two are Blue Streak, the guy with the red hair, and The Vamp, who, you know, interesting name. Well, it turns out the reason that the S.H.I.E.L.D. super agent program fell through, as Quasar puts it, is Blue Streak and The Vamp were double agents. They, I don't remember exactly who they were working for, whether it was Hydra or somebody else, but Spoiler they were... They were double agents, and that's what led to the whole uh, Quasar being in the Hulk issues because they were selling secrets, etc., etc. Et and so when half of your super agents turn out to be bad guys, that's when S.H.I.E.L.D. says, yeah, we'll pull the plug on this. Maybe that wasn't such a good decision after all. Right. Thank you. Hmm. Does anybody have anything else they want to say about this issue? 
Uh, I love the image of Thunder on page. Well, I, I don't know what page it's on. Page twelve, page fourteen, up in the upper left. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a great picture of her. Yeah, it like the uh, the the dialogue in this. It's very seventies because when she when she attacks the guy that's beating up the little wrestling promoter, he calls her to move along, Big Mama. Yeah. And then later, you know, Shane calls her toots and. It's just that. Um, oh yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of late seventies terminology because yeah, yeah it, it's broad. You know, yes. we, for all of you folks that are looking back at this now, and you're you're hypercritical of all this stuff. As a thirteen year old, this was all just so normal. I mean, we didn't bat an eye. We didn't we didn't go into all of the critical analysis that you, that happens today about these things when people look back. It was just like, oh. People yeah. Yeah, you want, put on the bands and you put on the bands and all of a sudden you have power. They didn't care about <laughs> oh, it's, any of the other stuff or whatever. It was just it's coming. It was in, so normal. <laughs> it's coming in one of the other late, later issues where where Ben makes uses a term that uh, wouldn't go over well today. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I don't know if y'all caught. I just, well, I just like to say I like page thirty one with the Project Pegasus. Cutaway diagram. Yes, that is really cool. Oh, I love diagrams like that. Always like the cutaway diagrams. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, some, you, yeah, you can relate to where they are easier. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we used to get those, like in the Treasury editions or an annual or king size special, those were always so exciting. I'd sit there and I would just like pour over it for hours just looking at it saying okay and then whenever i'd read a book sometimes i would go i would pull out the diagram just to see okay how is this happening in the compound or the headquarters or whatever so love those things when they came out they were so great yeah yeah and we're putting more thought into it than the creators were believe me <laughs> now my uh, my assessment that, that was done by Mark Grunwald is based on all the stuff Mark Grunwald did in the Ohatmu books yeah. that were pretty much the same type of diagram drawn this and it way. says in the lower right of that page I don't see it <laughs> oh yeah yeah there's designers Mark and Higgins yeah <laughs> I didn't see that so thank you and yeah that was our obviously Orzachowski lettering anyway uh yeah i think we've uh, covered this one pretty good and we haven't heard a goat scream so i think we're moving along pretty well uh who has got uh issue 54 that would be me all righty all right so marvel two and one volume one issue number 54 cover date of august of 79 um, what I found with the same cover date was Avengers 186, which Byrne was a penciler on, Fantastic Four 209 penciler, and then X-Men 124. Was He was a, listed as a plotter penciler. So pretty busy month for Byrne. Um, I also did not write my own synopsis because, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say lazy, just busy. Um, for issue number 54, um, we do have a bunch of first appearances in this book. Um, we've got Latha, Pound Cake, Screaming Mimi, and is it uh, Titania? Mm-hmm. But not um, that Titania. Yeah. 
yeah. Uh, we've got writers Mark Grunwald, Rolf Machio, uh, pencilers John Byrne, Joe Sinnott, colors Bob Sharon, uh, letters John Costanza, and then, of course, editor Roger Stern. Uh, our cover reads Blood and Bionics, and this is Project Pegasus Part 2. Uh, the thing is wandering the Project Pegasus complex when he's attacked by the Nth Command agent, the cyborg known as Deathlock. The cyborg attacks Ben with lethal force and manages to injure his arm, which I was actually quite shocked reading that all these years later. I was like, what? Uh, when Ben tries to appeal to Luther Manning, the cyborg informs Ben that it has been culled of all, all its organic components and is run completely by an artificial intelligence before resuming its brutal assault on the thing, which this was the first time for me that I'd ever heard Luther Manning because I grew up with, um, I think it's Michael Collins version of Deathlock hmm. from the nineties. Did they yeah. stay? So there was a lot, the lot of first Luther Manning here. They didn't, but it is. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a replica or robot of Luther Manning. Oh, dun, dun, dun. Surprise. Yes. Sorry. Which I didn't know they had made a robot version of Deathlock either, but we find that out in this issue. Um, when Quasar arrives with Pegasus security, Deathlock flees the scene. With Ben given the care of Pegasus medical staff, Quasar goes after Deathlock to figure out what the cyborg is up to. The damaged cyborg, meanwhile, has traveled deep into the complex and has begun setting up a nth projector in the radioactive disposal section of the facility, which totally seems safe, by the way. Um, Quasar manages to track Deathlock there and resumes his attack, unaware of what Deathlock was doing in this area. Uh, during the fight, the cyborg suffers severe damage to its body, even more so when Pegasus Security arrives along with a medically treated Ben Grimm. When Quasar hears that Deathlock has activated a self-destruct device, he uses his quantum bands to destroy its body, leaving its head intact for questioning, as you do. Um, however, the cyborg has foreseen this possibility and causes its head to self-destruct, leaving nothing behind to determine the cause of Deathlock's attack on the facility. While back in New York, Thundra has begun practicing for her new career as a female wrestler for Oglethorpe and is pitted against a group of female wrestlers known as the Grapplers, all of whom uh, Titania manages to defeat easily. Back at Pegasus, Thomas Lightner, Lightner has ventured down into the radioactive disposal section to check and see if the end projector has been dis discovered. Finding it unmolested, he calls his leader at Nth Command, who demands that Leitner finish constructing the device himself and to initiate their contingency plan that they had organized in the event that Deathlock had failed in its mission. As Ben and Quasar greet Bill Foster, who has come to bring the villain Adam Smasher into the project's custody for study, uh, Leitner sneaks into the cell of another uh, radioactive menace, Nuclo which I just rolled my eyes when I heard that name, by the way. <laughs> really. uh, the mutant son of the wizard and Miss America. Ooh. Uh, he awakens the childlike creature and opens up his cell in the hopes that the mutant will cause enough destruction around the compound for him to finish his plan. 
And there's your synopsis for part two of Project Pegasus. Um, I always like to start with the cover. So this cover has way too much going on for me. <laughs> um, when I, I uh, pulled it up in my omnibus and then looked at it on uh, Marvel Unlimited as well, there's just so there's too much. Like you're, I, I, for me, I look at it and I don't even know what to look at first. I mean, you want to look at Deathlock, but then you've got this wrestling scene on the side. You've got Oglethorpe right in the shadows. You've got the Shadow Quasar. Then you've got this Ben Grimm shadow thing going on, the saga of Project Pegasus. And then you've got the thing, right, with his injury to his arm. There's a lot on this cover. I think yeah. a better cover would have been the splash page where yes. Deathlock's hiding behind the corner. Yeah. Yeah, this looks like one of those covers like that DC used to do where it had, like, the grid and you had... C or or right. Avengers Annual Ten, you know. C, you know, the Avengers trapped in an elevator. C, blah blah blah. You know, it's just yeah. one of those crazy, crazy covers. Yeah, there's just there's a lot here. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it does something for somebody. It doesn't do anything for me. I wonder what's what some of the thought was behind those types of covers. Was it just like we have so much going on, we want to put a little bit of a highlight in it for to capture all kinds or I, I think it, part of it might have been there aren't probably weren't a huge amount of people who knew who Deathlock was in 1979 so it might have been well if they don't know him they'll know Thundra they'll know Quasar yeah right uh, you know they'll, they'll say oh well it's more than just Deathlock in here maybe I should pick it up you know, mm-hmm. especially since they had the saga project Pegasus on it as well. Yeah, the, the, uh, that makes sense. The thing with these books, and it, it's really obvious in the previous one, is that this no pun intended. Is, yeah, this <laughs> is a heavy slice of the Marvel universe. You get a lot of heroes, a lot of villains, characters everywhere that that are from all different parts of the Marvel universe, and it's just like all swirling into one one big storyline. So. I mean, it's a good thing that they're just sitting there showing you, look, there's a lot happening here. But uh, the use of this the, issue sets up a lot of stuff up. Yeah, the use of the green on the cover hurts it. I think if they covered it, colored it differently, it might have been a little bit more effective. Well, if they, well, if they had done a, a mono color for the background, you would have lost Deathlock because he is yeah. first and foremost with that red that really pops against that green so your eye goes right to him mm-hmm. and then to Ben the rest is just kind of background noise right so. well, and what's interesting to me is as I read the issue I went back to the cover and I'm like hey that little cord thing he's got is on his left side but on the cover it's on his right side and then the American flag piece is removed hmm. you're right yeah well, the cover is by Perez and Austin, and the yeah. artwork inside is Gern and Senate. what? Senate? Yep. Senate. And if they don't, I wonder if they show Deathlock in, in uh, flashbacks in the later stories, because we can see if uh, he does it the same. This, uh, of course, the the obvious thing that uh, that you touched on, David, was the thing getting hurt so bad that he bled. I had never seen that before. I don't know if it's happened since, but... And not only that, but the the Deathlock was sitting there in the previous issue at the very end talking about the thickness of the rocks on his skin, saying how how far he would have to penetrate to to really hurt him. 
So, I mean, that's that's information and that's a visual that I don't think I've ever seen, you know, in any of the Fantastic Four that I'd read. I just don't recall it. And look at Ben's reaction to it, too. Yeah. He is completely shocked that he's bleeding. And that thing was bad enough to basically disable that arm for the... Right, he must have... Yeah, just from the surface, it looks like it's kind of a scratch, but he must have penetrated the whole... Yeah, because if you look on the next page, page three, middle panel, he's still bleeding from it. Yep. Well, he does use the same arm, you know, uh, his hand to crush that box. Yeah, that, I love <laughs> that. I love that he did that. And this is a code-approved book, too. Blood. Get a code-approved book. Yeah, but it's not red blood. It's black and orange. Um, and he's not human. Yeah. Right. And so, therefore, the code, you know, doesn't have really any issue with that. Well, yeah, because later in this issue, you have no problem with Deathlock being shot to pieces. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They just open up on him completely. Well, is, is, I mean, Deathlock is trying to kill Ben, correct? Or is he just trying to wound He's trying him? to kill him. He's trying no, to kill he's trying him, to right? trying to kill him. Kill him. Okay, see, well, that, that doesn't make sense. I think I see where you're going with this, Tim, because later, later on... He burns through a meter thick of titanium. Right, yeah. so or, if he wanted to kill like, him, he would have just cranked the... Unless it, unless there's something programmed into his his subroutine, oh, this thickness requires this power, and right. that's it. He cannot alter from that because or there's no hide. Ben's hide is stronger than we think. Yeah, or he, I mean, he was probably going for a headshot, and Ben blocked him with his arm. Yeah, that's true. A headshot probably would have killed him. Yeah, yeah. As you see, he pulls he pulls it up. Was it the same, like the way same gun like, that kind he of used ripped. to do both? Was it um, the Mazer? Yeah, Mazer. He had a yeah. backup Mazer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the little noisy yeah. cricket-looking thing. Uh, it, yeah, and, and Ben even makes the comment that if he hadn't raised his arm, it would have shot him right in the throat, right in the neck. Yeah. So it would have been a kill shot. Um, I, you know, like the previous issue, the artwork in this um, book is very clean. You know, we oftentimes talk about, you know, like sometimes there's like too heavy of inking or, you know, the, it's not quite up to that standard. Uh, um, but I thought this one outside of heavy exposition, even with, uh, death block, cause I mean, most of this book is internal monologuing. Yeah. If you step back and you kind of look at it, it's the thing monologuing about the battle. It's death block going through all of his processes because we find out that he's a robot replica of Deathlock that was uh, created to infiltrate uh, Project Pegasus. And there's not a whole lot of discussion. Even Quasar's, you know, half the book with him is internal monologuing too, which before I forget, so Gene, I don't know if you remember, I have fond memories, but in the early 90s when they had the first Marvel um, collector cards, and on the back it showed like their strength, psychic mm-hmm. ability, right? They rated every character. I, I'm always confused with Quasar. He's got cosmic power, but yet he doesn't seem to be that strong compared to other cosmic powered superheroes. Well, because every all of his cosmic power is in the quantum bands. So it's not like he's strong himself. It's the quantum bands. And if you actually notice 
in his series, like he starts out, if you look at him in two and one, he's buff. He's got all the muscles of a shield yeah. agent, everything. As you go through the Quasar series, which lasted six, 60 issues by the end he's really really slim not much muscle definition because he's not physically doing anything he's using the quantum bands to do everything for him Mm -hmm. so he's not uh, he has uh really good psychic resistance and abilities but strength wise he is an average human yeah because he blasts deathlock in uh, what page is this? I don't know. Uh, um, but he blasts Deathlock, and I would have thought that would have destroyed him. Yeah, but like you, like you, we were talking about, he wants to save his head. He wants to question him. So he's not going to go full blast, especially since he already said, hey, what, if one of our shots goes awry in yeah. here, yeah. it's yeah. going to blow the whole yeah. place up. <laughs> that is true. Um I don't know if we emphasize that enough, but yeah. So where Deathlock decides to set up this nth device is right around where all the, uh, uh, what is it? The section where the federal energy, uh, projects, radioactive materials are stored and contained for eventual disposal. So this is all like nuclear waste basically yeah. surrounding them. <laughs> Great place to fight. <laughs> yep, yep. All fall back with the incinerators behind you. How's that work out? I forget. Think about an al- aliens. Like an aliens when they're right below the heat transfer yep. uh, device, and he says if you rupture that, the whole plant's going to go up. But I want you to lay down a suppressing fire with the. That's great. Hold your fire, goddammit! The incinerators and fall back by squads. Say again, all after incinerator. I said I want you to lay down a suppressing fire with the incinerators and fall back. Well, it's interesting. This the, the year this book came out. Since Deathlock, the first thing they're going to try to salvage his head, then his head blows up. Same year, another robot's head was interrogated. Mm-hmm. An alien. Yeah. And which was around the same time this this came out. I think this actually came out before the movie Alien came out. Probably. Media inspiring other media. But yeah, we have a good this this book is mainly battles, right? First it's the thing versus Deathlock, and then we have Quasar versus Deathlock. You want to talk about media and then, inspiring media? This is partially a story about an android sent back from the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See where I'm going there? Which, around the same yeah, so time this was done, they also did the murder mech story at DC Comics with George Perez. Go ahead. So th- we mainly just have fi- Yeah, we just mainly have fights. You know, it's Deathlock versus Thing, right? Thing getting hurt. He's out of commission for a little bit. Then we have Quasar fighting Deathlock. <laughs> Um, and then eventually their battle leads to everybody coming together. Um, the thing is back. He's got his arm in a sling, which I thought was kind of funny because I agree with the, I think Gene, you made the comment that, you know, it looks like it's kind of like a, just a wound to his arm, but they've got it slinged up. Um, and everybody comes back and then we see the, uh, Project Pegasus 
uh, little troops, minions, you know, everybody blasts the hell out of a Deathlock and eventually, you know, he explodes and explodes his head. Um, I don't know how you guys felt about the, the wrestling story. Um, I, I, it's a Rocky tribute. It is. It just didn't do anything for well, me. I, I'm sure if I was reading this off the stands, I'd think, where is this going? They keep cutting yeah, back exactly. to Thundra, Thundra, or Thundra, whatever. And like, okay, well, has this got anything to do with, yeah, she's got a relationship with Ben Grimm, but where is this going? And of course, obviously, we know. But. Yeah, it just seemed if, you know, I was trying to put my, my head in the space of, because we, you know, we talk about, you know, like some comic is everybody's first comic. I have to admit, I started with this one because this was the one I picked out of the, the list, right, that we're covering today. So I read this one first and I was like, what in the hell is going on here? Because <laughs> I was totally lost. I was like, what? It's like watching you know, the two it was towers so- first. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's so bizarre because you have this, you know, battle royale going on with the thing and Quasar and Deathlock, and then you switch to some gym in Manhattan where, you know, she's throwing everybody out of the ring, and there, there's discussion about you better have good insurance, you know, like, I'm going to sue you. I'm like, what? And That's- then the last page of the book, right, is... is, is um, uh, what is his name? Nuclone? Tom Nuclone. Nuclone getting out, being released. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. I, I do like the way Nuclone is drawn. Yeah. That he's they've done these heavy inks with a, a yellow uh, coloring that makes him, I guess, he's like, like he's internally glowing, maybe. A reverse x-ray. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Now, exactly. Gene, where, where did the uh, information no, come from where it said, or I'm sorry, David, where it said that he was the child of uh, Wanda Frank, or not Wanda Frank, but um, Bob the, and the Wizard and, uh, and, Miss, and America. Miss America. That was, uh, that was in an Avengers. That was in the Avengers somewhere back. Well, it, it's funny um, because exactly the, the issue of the Avengers that came out the exact same month was the one where they had traveled with Django Maximoff. To Wondergore Mountain, and they found out that you know the wizard wasn't their father, and you know Django. They they first thought that Django was actually their father, and it turns out, of course, we know who who their father should be. That that evil mutant. <laughs> well, they've changed it since. What was that? They, they've changed it since to something else. So the retcon got retconned. It is kind of it's kind of amusing though, because he. Um, the guy that lets him out, right, is like, well, I don't know if he's going to see me as his free or he's going to kill me, but oh well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do it. He's got follow orders. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right, from his space age phone. Mm-hmm. And so I looked it up. Nuclo was introduced in Giant Size Avengers 1 in 1974, and that's where the Wizard and Miss America, that whole storyline took place. And then got discredited. Well, I, I like also in this book how, and they, you see it later in the other issues, how they treat radioactivity as as long as you don't touch it, you're okay. Yeah, no. You know, don't yeah. touch him, you're good. You get close to him, just don't Ooh, touch I him. Got burned. Doesn't, doesn't go beyond, like, three inches. <laughs> yeah, like, it doesn't work that way. Mm. <laughs> well, Nigel, do you have thoughts that you wanted to relay? Yes. Um, not really on this one. You, uh, 
I'm pretty much in agreement with what people have said about it. Yeah, it's a good issue for battles, as you say. Um, with relation to the wrestlers, the grapplers, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they, they are just setting up the scene and introducing these other lady wrestlers because they're going to be appearing later on in the story. Uh, yeah, it's a continuous story. So, yeah, we, we don't know at this stage why we're seeing this so much, but it all becomes apparent soon. Yeah. Nigel, I hear you flipping pages. Are you flipping the actual comics or do you have phrase? Yeah, I'm looking through the comics themselves. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and I've made a note. Oh, yeah, because this is the first appearance of Screaming Mimi. Mm-hmm. Later becomes a member of Zemo's Master of Evil. And then later still, the Thunderbolt, known as Songbird. So Songbird, that's right. Yeah. Start of her sort of Marvel life. <laughs> and yeah. didn't she eventually become a, a heroine, or did they... Yeah. More did or less. She, yeah, more or less. She, yeah, I know for Thunderbolts, but I mean, didn't she eventually turn over and decide, yeah, no, being a villainess is not for me. I want to be a superhero. I believe so. Although after, pretty much after the early Thunderbolts stories, I... Uh, I didn't really know what happened to her after that. Um, oh, and she was in the Avengers Forever. Hmm. Yes, yes, so, that's what I was going to share. And she was pulled, yeah, as a member she of was the Avengers from the future. She was supposedly an Avengers member, but I'm not aware that she ever actually joined the Avengers in what I'll call normal time. I don't know if you because they, uh, you know like I, who has uh, who has not been a member of the Avengers. Of- <laughs> <At this Yeah. laughs> okay, I I, I just uh, caught uh, something in some future time. I did catch something funny, page twenty one, and this is the page with the with Thunder and all that, where you've got the guy in the yeah. first panel in the middle, and it says uh, Kowalski's. I think it says Kowalski's gym. One flight up, yeah. flight is misspelled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, and the guy I'm below it looks to. like Ben Grimm when he's not the thing. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Is this, is this the un or part of the what become maybe the un? Was it Ben fought with the unlimited wrestling? Yeah, actually, uh, um, yes, that was yeah, yeah, yeah that was the, another thing. And the Grapplers is the group that Sharon Ventura joined when she joined the Unlimited Wrestling yeah. Federation. Yeah, Ms. Mo. How did yep. you like when when I guess she was calling? Who was it that called Pound Cakes Chubs? That was that's Giant Man. Oh, Giant that's Man, that's yeah, right. Yeah, later on. And uh, I don't remember yeah, which yeah. issue it is that Ben uses the term beauty. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's coming. Well, any final thoughts um. on this one? Just one, uh, the fact that you know we we weren't super happy with the front cover. The back cover is just amazing and a wonderful piece of art that everyone should look at. Uh, the poster ad for coming this Christmas to a theater near you, Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Oh my gosh! I'm not looking you at the physical say, copy, so I didn't have that. So. 23rd Century Odyssey now. Yep. I will tell you what, as, 
at that time period, that was just exciting. Yes. That was almost as exciting as Star Wars. <laughs> and then you saw the movie. Well, that is... <laughs> hey, that is still to this day my favorite movie of all time. Really? Hey, you know what? <laughs> you 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 look back at it now, but at the time it was still a great. Well, I appreciate film. it more now than I when did then. I saw we loved it. I saw it in the theater several times, but it always gave me this sick feeling, you know, in my stomach. It, it just like I, I don't know. They made the V'ger too powerful. But we need to move on. So I, I, I hear the cowbell yes. getting ready to ring. So uh... <laughs> yeah, Kirk. Yeah. there you go. The, uh, the bottom of page 22, I noticed something. The uh, the figure, as he's with, I don't know who this guy is, but he's pointing. Yeah. And he says, okay, attack. See you in Is that not a recreation or a very similar scene to X-Men 112? When Cyclops, who's under Mesmero's uh, influence, uh, says, "Hey, Rube," yeah. calls out all the, yeah. Oh, so Byrne was swiping that. Okay. <laughs> well, Byrne's probably both. Yeah. He's standing for himself. Anyway, so. I, I've got to go look at it right now because I'm just like, wait, is that really? <laughs> I mean, in I, the meantime, which probably um, you know is uh, a ripoff of uh, is that one twelve or one eleven? It's one eleven. I think it's one twelve. At that, oh, I don't remember now. Because one twelve Magneto. Yeah. Yeah, then it'd be one eleven. You're right. And there's Cyclops and as that, I don't see him doing the Hey Rube. I mean, when he calls for Hey Rube, it's just him looking at. It's like he's looking at the camera. All right, my mistake. I would think more back in like original X Men issue like two and three with the Blob, or the later one with the the circus gang that you might get something like that. Yeah, they use that expression "Hey Rube" a lot, yeah. but they don't. They're not as close up to the figures as this dynamic uh, panel would indicate. All right, shall we move on? All right, Rachel. Yes. Sorry, I just sorry, I had to step away for a second because we got severe thunderstorms rolling through and a tornado watch. So, all right, we'll be in and out. Kids, kids are all freaked out because there's thunder and lightning, and not from the song. <laughs> you know what? Okay. As long as they don't see an old lady riding a bike and flying. Sorry, Nigel. 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 Right. Okay, so uh, we're on to issue number 55 of Marvel 2-in-1. Uh, cover date did September 1979. Uh, 40 cents, I believe, was still the price. Or in Britain, 12p, which was great. When I think back, 12 pence, I could buy... Eight comics and still have change out of a pound. Those were the days. Yeah. And. (laughs) I don't understand anything you just said. (laughs) (laughs) They were cheap. The comics were cheap. Ah, okay. And plentiful, yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, Uh, it says The Thing and Giant Man. But obviously, from the cover, it's not Hank Pym. 
Let's have a look. The production team, yeah, again, writers Grunwald and Macchio. Same art team, John Byrne and Joe Sinnott. Uh, John Costanza, letterer. Bob Sharon, colorist. Roger Stern, editor. And, of course, Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. The whim of irony. <laughs> this is part three of, of the Pegasus project. Now, the synopsis... Uh, I did read the Marvel Wiki synopsis, but I didn't particularly like it that, that much. I've used some of it in my, but I rewrote my own uh, because I felt they missed some things out, and there were one or two things that weren't quite right either. So it's a, it's a mixture <laughs> of uh, yeah, the Wiki and my own my own work. Yeah, so here we go. Uh, so, uh, oh, sorry, the, the title is Giants in the Earth. So, as the Thing, Bill Foster, Quasar, and several other members of Project Pegasus enjoy a poker game, they are suddenly interrupted by a priority red security alarm. Everyone follows Quasar to the nearest monitor, which reveals that a patient has escaped from the compound module. Furthermore, something is upsetting the energy balance in the nuclear module, which Quasar goes to check out whilst the others search for the escapee. Bill Foster joins the thing in checking the lower levels as the disturbance comes from the same area where he delivered Atom Smasher's body just days before. The elevator platform descends but suddenly it stops between floors, surprising the two passengers. Unbeknown to them, Nuclo, the escaped atomic mutant, has crawled into the shaft and is stopping the platform from descending. The platform starts to move again, but this time upwards, and the panel above is not opening. That's because Nuclo is pushing the platform upward, as his childlike mind sees this as a game. The thing braces against the ceiling, but his injured arm prevents him from being able to stop the platform from rising. The pressure, however, suddenly eases, and the thing sees to his surprise that Bill Foster has grown enormously and is bracing his body against the ceiling, stopping the movement. When Nuclo can no longer push the platform up, he leaves the shaft, and the platform begins to descend once again. The Thing recognises Bill as Black Goliath, albeit wearing a new costume. He suggests that Bill change his superhero name to Giant Man. When they reach the compound level, guards inform them that Nuclo is loose, and they continue the search. Meanwhile, Quasar has checked the nuclear reactors and concludes that only Nuclo could be causing the problem. He attempts to stabilise the reactors using his energy wristbands. Switch to Madison Square Gardens, Manhattan. Thundra is about to have her first wrestling match against female grappler Titania. Thundra is slated to win. However, Titania uses a drugged needle to scratch Thundra as they fight. This weakens Thundra, and a backhand smash from Titania knocks her out. 
back at Project Pegasus. Giant Man and the Thing spot Nuclo, and Giant Man seems over-eager to have first crack at him. So, the Thing fashions a pair of lead-lined metal gloves to protect Giant Man's hands from Nuclo's radiation. At the same time, Nuclo's keeper, Henry Sorrell, has located the childlike mutant and is calming him down when Giant Man comes charging in and attacks. Giant Man battles hard to overpower the radioactive mutant and seems to have him beaten. But Nuclo catches him off guard with a fierce blow. However, that leaves Nuclo open for the thing to land a clean punch to his solar plexus knocking him into a null-grav generator, which activates due to the radiation, and holds Nuclo helpless in midair. With the threat over, Sorel berates the two heroes for beating the boy senseless. Elsewhere, in the room where Wundar lies in a coma, since exposure to the cosmic cube, see Marvel 2 in 142, the child boy dreams about coming to Earth, meeting the Man-Thing and other heroes and villains, before ending up at Project Pegasus. Where are his friends? Uncle Venji, Nemarita, Annie Christopher. A voice tells him the cube's power is now within him. When he wakes again, nothing will stop him. Nothing to be continued. Nice. Nicely done. That's it. Yeah, nicely well, done. Anybody there? Oh, nice job. Yeah. <laughs> Very well done. <laughs> You're yeah. going to make us have to work harder now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's used to writing. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Bill Foster Giant Man is my favorite Giant Man. And I really love that he took on the mantle. I love Bill Foster. This iteration of the character... I loved him in the Champions. I was very disappointed when the Champions ended up getting canceled because when yep. Byrne took over there um, and Chris Claremont took over the writing, it really elevated the Champions. Yeah, and then, unfortunately... That was Bill Mantlo. Yeah. Uh, uh, Claremont took over no. to, at a point, no. didn't he? No. Oh. I thought he, I thought he did. But, well, when Byrne took over, early in the, run. the writing really increased. Yeah. The stories really increased. It was really... An, a good project. I was really sad to see it disappear because I liked the inclusion of Giant Man as a part of that. Mm -hmm. So I was really excited to see Giant Man show up here uh, and especially be a regular character uh, in uh, Marvel 2-in-1. This was really cool. So I love Giant Man here. You're going to be even more upset when we get to Secret Wars or or, uh, Civil War, rather. Civil War. Um, Yeah, I was going to ask, is he yeah, yes. is that situation I, I, still current? I just don't accept Civil War. I just kind of, I, I don't care because yeah, I don't the bare midriff uh, didn't protect him at all from Thor. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't happen in my mind. Yeah. I don't go beyond not my eight, eight, not eight, your cannon. Your head cannon <laughs> doesn't have it. In your main yeah, head cannon. Yeah. There's a lot of things that don't exist in my head cannon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John, which which costume do you prefer, his original or the one he's got in this issue? Um, I really like this this costume. Um, uh, it, the Black Goliath costume is pretty cool, but I like this Giant Man costume as well. I I just really like this character. I think that they really like several characters at this time. Marvel just kind of created. 
I think just to keep the copyright, like She-Hulk, um, Ms. Marvel, uh, and here Giant Man, uh, Spider Woman, and they really they they did stuff with them, but they just really didn't focus on them the way they could have to make them into really cool and wonderful characters. Um, so I just have a love for these types of characters. And uh, I do like this character or this costume. What do you guys think of it? I like it. I think I like it. I, I, Tim. But well, I was going to say, I think he's a product of the – because he first appeared as Goliath in Power Man. So he was part of that kind of black exploitation wave that was coming in the 70s with Power Man. And, you know, the Kung Fu was, you know, also – but they were kind of following the trends of the films and stuff. And I think that's what – He's part of that, but it's nice that he was able to kind of break out of that and and become become his own character. Um, I think that little domino mask he's got's not fooling anybody, so I think he needs to reconsider that. <laughs> this is comics. Domino mask completely work behind <laughs> secret identity. You talk about Tim. How? How? Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! How? How did you know it was me? What do you mean? I've known you my whole life. I've seen you naked. You don't think I would recognize you because I can't see your cheekbones? What is this? Why, why is your skin green? Why are you glowing? What the hell is with that mask? Came with the outfit. Yeah, I remember reading, but I like how meeting, you know, seeing Giant Man for the first time in, I think, Marvel Team Up, and he just switched over to this costume and just started, you know, getting called Giant Man instead of Black Goliath or Black Giant Man because it was like, there was even a point in there where someone says, oh, it's Black Goliath, and he's, like, putting on his mask going, I forgot to tell everybody I changed my name. <laughs> well, I like how Ben just matter-of-factly says, well, change your name. Use Giant Man. Like, nobody's using it now. Obviously, everybody can tell you're black, and Goliath was a bad guy. So just ditch that name and go with Giant Man, you know? Yeah. I think I prefer the... Original black Goliath costume. The blue one over this with one. Yellow. Yeah, with, with the high collar, the yellow high collar at the back of the head. Yeah, and this one's not bad, but I think I prefer the the black Goliath one myself. The high collar always bothers me. It's kind of like <laughs> kind of like the yellow jacket costume that had those like the things that go aside because you you can't look side to side or, or Iron Fist. Costume for that matter, you know that that it blocks visibility. Karate Kid over at DC. Mm-hmm. But but Brian, haven't you noticed that when the head turns, they shrink <laughs> to see over it. I mean, <laughs> artistic license. I, I do like the detail that on page six, when he's first, you first see him kind of ripping out of his clothes, and he's helping Ben with the elevator. That they're showing you his his gloves are kind of tucked into his belt. Yeah. Yeah. That he's got all that hidden under his street clothes so that he later has to, he, he says, Hey, I might as well get boots. fully into my costume. Those swashbuckler yeah. boots he's wearing under all that. Cause yeah, he's wearing just jeans and uh, regular shoes. So those could be mistaken for Bruno Mali shoes. I'm looking at page one, which by the way, Quasar looks really, really odd on page one. Like he's ballooned up some. Yeah. I was going to make a comment about the artwork, including that, because here, what we were saying earlier about Sinnott's inking, making it look more like the house style. Yeah. 
And I thought in this issue of the three burn issues, in this one, it seems more obvious than in the previous two issues. It, it seems less burn. I think burn didn't, didn't work as heavy on the art in this one as he was getting ready to go. Yeah, uh, yeah the like, you know, breakdowns and then Sinnott finished. There's only a few pages that I think look really burn. The rest has got heavy Sinnott influence. Yeah. Not that, and that doesn't bother me. I like that too, but I'm just saying. Well, I mean, the the thing is, there's a lot of detail missing from the backgrounds uh, in a lot of it, and the whole elevator thing just seems kind of wonky, you know? I mean, what is Nuclo actually, is that the the thing that's supposed to push the elevator up and down? Because it just doesn't look like... Yes. It's like, so they have a hydraulic mm-hmm. press that does the whole thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like cables. Yeah, it. they have sort of ceilings which yeah, move into place or move out of the way as the platform goes up or down. Yeah. So it just looked mm-hmm. like... That, that OSHA, OSHA doesn't like Yeah, <laughs> but it looked like Byrne just, you know, didn't didn't put everything into the issue that he did into the other ones. And so I, I, agree, with that. I agree with that. I did find it interesting that uh, yeah. one guy that's that's like Nuclo's, uh, uh, you, you know, his buddy. Henry Sorrell. Yeah, he, he, he looks like, uh, what's his name, Lipton from the Inside the Actor Studio to me. You know, just seeing the, you know, the image. <laughs> it does look like James Lipton. <laughs> like, what's your favorite curse word? Okay. That's right. <laughs> Nuclo, if heaven exists, what do you want to say to God? <laughs> oh, man. Did, uh, did we talk about the front cover? Not a lot. No, because, no, uh, I mean, it's not even, I mean, it's neither Byrne nor Perez. That's a. No, it's Pollard and Sinat. I meant to mention that originally, but forgot. Yeah, it's Pollard and Sinnott. And, and yeah. the thing is, is in the, the, I think the letters page of the previous issue, they show this image, but instead of this purplish or magenta colored things on everything behind right. them, it's red. And it makes it pop more in my mind. But I guess that they oh. just thought red would be too violent or I don't know. This is the weaker of the three we've seen, I think. Because um, Ben looks like his arm is broken. Yeah. You now he's supposed yeah, to be sweet. He's supposed to be reaching back, but it looks yeah. like somebody's twisted his arm. It's got a weird yeah, perspective on the arm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know that there's. But I like I like the new mm. Yeah. The nucleus. Yeah, I like what they've drawn like, him. I like that negative look that they have for nucleo. Yeah. But the whole thing about the radioactivity just bothers me, knowing, you know, what it really does. Yeah. I start thinking about that series Chernobyl and everybody in there getting radiation burns. <laughs> I think this is a great cover. I mean, seeing this on a spinner rack, because I wasn't subscribing to comics at this time, and I, or I was, but not to Marvel 2-in-1, right. so I had to get this on a spinner rack or a stand. And uh, this was really cool. I mean, I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, so uh, it has everything that you want yeah. in the cover of a book. First of all, the the primary characters are the ones that are highlighted and focused and in yeah. color, where the rest of it's just all kind of background. And it's it's it doesn't matter really what happens there. 
So I just think it's really powerful. It's dynamic. It's the Marvel style where it's that big dynamic mm-hmm. breakthrough and push. Man, it's just really a good one. I mean, it's, I mean, it's Pollard uh, uh, and Nigel, you're a giant fan. Then. What do you think? This is this is what Pollard does. Oh, it's great. Uh, I, I yeah. loved yeah. it for that. Um, it's just the coloring bothered me. You know, but mm. I think they wanted to find the right color to contrast with the yellow, and that's really hard to get. The other thing I was wondering about, did, did you guys get the sense that Byrne had a hard time determining the size of Nuclo? Like, sometimes he seemed bigger and sometimes he seemed smaller? Now, of course, framing him when you have Giant Man also in the image might be you know part of the difficulty there. Yeah, he's going to look smaller against Giant Man. Giant Man, I yeah, guess. But he t- yeah, but he's towering over the people. Yeah, you mention it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's bottom of page twenty-two, left-hand panel, where Giant Man's first bursting into the room. Mm-hmm. New clothes look much bigger than his handler, although he's kind of crouching. Yeah, he looks fairly small there. But then, of course, when Giant Man hits him, yeah, then suddenly he looks bigger. Does anybody else on page 17 have a coloring mistake on Giant Man's chin? That's only in the in printed mine, issue. In half his chin is green. Yeah, that's on the printed yeah. issue. Yeah. Yeah. not in the omnibus. He's got like a green chin. Yeah. 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 A pea green chin. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny because I didn't notice that before, and I've read through this enough times, but I guess I just took that for some kind of lighting effect. Yeah, not just some sort of printing gaff. Mm-hmm. But uh, how many people like like make walls that are just like pure lead? I mean, again, this is a facility where they're dealing with a lot of energies, and lead is the best protection. Mm. But I mean, still, it's just like, okay, let's tear down the lead wall. It's it's <laughs> Need some transparent aluminum. Okay, and and Gene or anybody that knows on the bottom of page thirty, mm-hmm. who are all those yeah. characters? I, I mean, I recognize okay. you know Ca- Ms. Marvel or Captain Marvel, and I recognize Tiger Shark. Tiger and Shark. Then, and then the, the the two on the bottom right are Project Pegasus yeah. guards. Yeah. Uh, Who's the giant gold robot? Uh, that I don't know. I, I have not read a whole lot of uh, Man Thing comics, which is where Wondar started, mm-hmm. where a lot of this comes from. So I I do not re- recognize these characters. Is the yellow guy the? Maybe it's a mandroid. It doesn't look yeah, like a mandroid. Didn't quite. Is the yellow guy that's glowing? Is that the the atomic guy? What's his name? Um, Radioactive man. Oh. No, 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 not. Yeah, but no, he's green, isn't he? He's uh, no, that's not radioactive. Not radio. man. Is it radioactive man with the Masters of Evil? No, uh, the, your no. point. I think he's green. See, now the Simpsons have screwed me up here because I'm thinking radioactive man, Fallout Boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll shut up now. <laughs> we uh, well, are we ready to move on to uh, continue this and run to fifty six. Yeah. One more thing. I don't know about you, but whenever I get scratched with uh, a drug needle, it puts me right out, like instantly. Well, okay, in in defense of that, I'll tell you about Curari. Curari is like a nerve agent 
that they used to put elephants down. And a scratch like that of curare against your skin, if it pierces the skin, will put you down so quick. It's just that that powerful. They used it in um, in Korea during uh, during the Korean War, the MASH units, and they talked about that on the TV show MASH. They use it as a muscle relaxant, don't they? But it's incredibly diluted. Okay, let's move on. John, I think you're up. I am. You're on deck. I am. So, Marvel 2 and 1, 56, released July 3rd, 1979, cover dated October 79, with a cover price of 40 cents, which probably means it was 12p in England. Right, Nigel? Yep. Um, Mike's Amazing World said it had 32 pages uh, and 17 pages of story. So, minus the four pages for the cover, that's, uh, what, 11 pages of ads and letter columns and house ads and whatever. So, um, so elsewhere, um, for burn on the spinner rock, uh, spinner rack. So at this time, Fantastic Four 210 would have still been on the rack, uh, mm-hmm. and X-Men 125, but coming out and Avengers 187, which was the last of the wonder gore tale, which was one of the best story arcs in Avengers, in my opinion. Um, coming out the, in later in July would have been X-Men or Avengers 188 and X-Men 126. Those come out in two weeks. So in July, we had from Burn, Marvel 2-in-1, this issue, X-Men 126 and Avengers 188. So uh, well, There's also busy, the busy Fantastic Four story where they're aging. Uh, or maybe I, I know it's oh, in right. Search of Galactus uh, and uh, If This Be Terax. So it introduced... No, Fantastic Four 211 yeah. would have been released as well in July. You're right. Yeah. Right. Uh, cover is by John Byrne and Terry Austin. The writers are Mark Grunewald, Ralph Macchio, interior penciler Perret, George Perez, anchor Gene Day, colorist Bob Sharon, uh, letterer Watanabe, and editors Roger Stern, Jim Salakrup. And the title is Project Pitch Part 4, Project Pegasus Project Part 4, The Deadlier of the Species, and it features Thundra. Uh, here's the synopsis. I also, why, sh- why should I work ho- twice as hard? I'm going to use the marvelfandom.com. Um, so following her, continued from, from last issue. Following her defeat at the hands of Titania, Thundra has been forced into eating the grapplers into breaking into Project Pegasus. While they're breaking into the facility, Ben visits the seemingly unconscious Wandar to express his guilt. Wandar spelled with two R's. uh, To express his guilt at letting people at Project Pegasus experiment on him. Feeling tearful, the thing leaves the room unaware that Wandar has revived and forgives Ben for what happened. Cue the Hulk ending music. (laughs) Returning to his quarters, Ben runs into Thundra, who uses force to try to prevent the thing from stopping her. Battle leads to the alarm going off, which brings Quasar and Giant Man to investigate the situation. Quasar runs into Letha and Screaming Mimi and is at first put on the defensive by Mimi's sonic scream. However, he manages to overcome the scream's hallucinogenic effects and defeats uh, Mimi and Letha with his quantum bands. Giant Man, meanwhile 
finds Titania and pound cakes in the research center. His giant size working against him, Giant Man is easily taken off guard. However, he manages to turn things to his advantage and easily knocks out the two overconfident Amazons. As this is happening, Ben is losing his fight against Thundra. However, he manages to turn the battle around on her and defeats her as easily as uh, her comrades were defeated. With Thundra, uh, not to mention they had this little tete-a-tete about whether they were worthy for each other, blah, blah, blah. Uh, with Thundra and the other grapplers to do the thing Giant Man and Quasar attempt to question them, the grapplers refuse to speak and Thundra regrets that she cannot talk either because she has been honor sworn not to reveal what their plan was. Elsewhere in the facility, uh, Thomas Leitner has taken the payload brought by the grapplers and is busy completing the assembly of the nth projector, a device that he intends to go to Thanagar, I mean, um, to destroy the Pegasus project. Very good. Very nice. Well done. There you go. Yes, I did... Uh, uh, embellish a little bit uh, in case that wasn't obvious. Oh, we loved it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, I have to say, the cover again is amazing. Of course, it's by Burn and Sinat. Man, <laughs> what a great cover. And yeah, no, that's Burn and uh, Austin. I, I, oh, yeah, Burn and yeah. Austin. Sorry, you're right. Yep, yeah, Burn and so Austin. That, there is a little uh, thing unusual about yes. that. Is that. Is there? Well, Why? from the perspective, it looks like she punched things from behind. Now, she's a character of honor, otherwise that she wouldn't have a problem speaking against uh, who hired her, and yet someone with that kind of honor would never attack anyone from behind. No, no, no. I think Ben's just twisted in the air. He's. Uh, I mean, that, that's a possibility. He's just yeah. trying to rotate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it does look like, but I mean, it's a great visual. Yeah, it's a, great it's a good image. visual. It doesn't make a great 3D cover. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking yeah, of oh, the yeah. visuals, though, the visuals in this issue are a sharp contrast from the last one. The detail, the backgrounds, uh, you know, it's like Perez is coming in and saying, you like that burn? Check this out. Yeah, um, Perez really, uh, his artwork here is glorious. Now, I mean, anyone who's in any groups that I'm in, Nigel, I think in some of your groups you've seen this when I've commented yeah, I I really love this era of Bern and Perez. To me, this is their height. Mm-hmm. I I know people think, oh, they just got better, better. I really love their style from this this era. To me, this is this is my favorite style that they have, and I really think that um, Perez's compositions and um, most of his artwork here is really just phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I'll second that, John. I'm been, uh, now. I haven't made a secret that I'm necessarily a, a Perez fan, but compared to the three issues you've already seen, I mean, granted, this has more. I think more action in it. The action in this is easily more dynamic than in the, the issues we've seen so far. The fights seem better. There's more energy to them. I love the use of the sipitone throughout this book. Um, lots of detail. Lots of, as you would call it. You know, burn calls it argle bargle, especially on page eleven. There's lots of just page eleven debris. is about my favorite page. I mean, they're there, they're just doing work, you know. But that image of him blasting whatever a giant man is holding is just an amazing yeah, thing. No. But I, I and just yeah. the fights with uh, and, and the sorry the page fifteen and sixteen and seventeen. 
where Screaming Mimi is using her voice to create these illusions. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, that's what it seems kind of burn yeah. like, where he's got this distorted, almost fish-eye look of these two become, look like they're becoming demons. And you can see that uh, Quasar is really struggling uh, and the sweat on his face. Um, that's probably the those three pages are probably the most dynamic and the and the most compelling in the book. And uh, at the bottom of seventeen, I love that zipatone where he's kind of Going finally in. able yeah. to, yeah, blast. The with, so the, the, the panel with Quasar there where he crosses, yeah. mm-hmm. crosses yeah, his arm. Phenomenal, my goodness! Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is an all-action issue. I mean, it, it, it's just it starts off, and then next thing you know, it's just ended, and you're like, what? Because it's such good stuff right from the beginning to the end. Um, yeah. At this, at this point, had Perez drawn Wonder Woman? He hadn't, no. had he? Uh, Not what she did. She drew well, in, in the Justice, Justice League. League. Yeah. He, he has in Justice League, but this is not as the solo character. He's only done it as a, a part of the Justice Wait, League. Is, is he even okay. up to that yet? I, I, need, I need to ver- verify that. Okay, let's see. Oh, I'm not going to tell there. Because he's doing a lot of. You know, between Thundra and the other grapplers, he's doing, you know, Amazon-like drawings of women, so. This is only 79, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe, had he drawn her in Justice League? Even? I think that maybe. No, he had, had not worked for DC yet. Because he started okay. in 80 with the Titans, and then shortly after yeah, that, he did Justice League, Titans. so he hadn't done it yet. Speaking of Amazonian uh, postures and positions, the last panel on 26, where Thundra is, um, well, she's got a soliloquy. Why must we struggle, Ben, in truth, when I first... And uh, (laughs) Can't you see we're fated to be made? I mean, look at where he's sitting, where she's sitting, and that picture. Just ignore the balloons. I can just see Ben saying, what a revolting development this what, is. What page are you on? 26. Bottom, page, bottom panel. Yep. <laughs> just look at that one on its own. It's like, is that embarrassing or what? <laughs> Do you think she would have been okay, able to sit out this neck if she had enough time? Or... I mean, he says well, she might. look I mean, at the top of 27. I mean, yeah, he, she, he, she's, she's almost there. there. Yeah. 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 Or... I'm not gonna say it. I'm not. You yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, Perez hadn't drawn Wonder Woman until a year later. Yeah. So yeah, right. In 1980. Yeah. I, I thought he had started. I thought he started JLA much earlier than that. But yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, you're right. Good stuff, man. This well, is such a and, good issue. What and you Gene Day's got to get you know some credit for that too. Remember, you know, with Byrne and Synod, it wasn't a a team that I would say gelled the way we'd like for it to gel, whereas this team here definitely gelled. And Gene Day not only came in and inked, but he embellished. He added other things on, in, in, in my opinion, to, to help the pair's art. Like on, on page 10, when she does that whole backhand strike of Ben... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was Gene Day that did a lot of that background stuff to, to make that look so powerful. Mm. But I, I could be wrong, but it just seems like he definitely added a lot to it. All right, so what's uh, what's next? Oh, uh, the other thing to mention about this issue... 
the letters page has got a letter from Kurt Busiek. Kurt Busiek. So. Well, I also want to bring this up. On page 22 at the bottom, when Pound Cakes is hitting uh, Giant Man with a, he's like a, a, a ramrod, she's punching him in the stomach. And uh, Titania says, you should have aimed a little lower. Yeah, I hate to see an overgrown you know, man cry. <laughs> this is where he calls her Chubbs. He said, "That's pretty. <clears throat> that's pretty funny, Chubbs." But the fight scene between Thundra and Thing, wow, um, that's really some intense scenes. Some good stuff. Um, I always just thought it was weird. It seems like Thundra again, as we mentioned earlier, Thundra. Uh, was kind of a character that was kind of treated very weirdly. I mean, she has, she comes from this world where women are, where it's a matriarchy, not a patriarchy. And yet she ends up falling into these dumb schemes all the time. (laughs) Um, And it's just really bizarre because she's a cool character and uh, I like her visual and uh, I really like her, but I think this kind of got a little bit strange. Well, I think it's like, Deathlock and One Darts, these characters that have come from possible future or an alternate Earth, and they wind up in the 616, and they don't really know what to do with them because they don't seem to fit in. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know what her current situation is. I don't know if she's yeah. alive or dead. Or so, Gene, what what did you, how did you think about the use of Quasar here? Since uh, Quasar was kind of featured a little bit more in this story than in the previous ones. Yeah, well, in, I mean, in the, the previous issue, they sidelined him because, oh, we have to deal with this nuclear thing. So Quasar, who can come in and take care of Nuclo like that, <laughs> oh, he's off doing this own thing, so we all blow up. This one, I like it because they're attacking him mentally, and that's shown many times that can be one of his weaknesses. So it makes sense, but then he has something that Gruenwald really keyed in on, and you saw it uh, earlier with Deathlock, is he's got this, I must be the Captain America level of integrity and never kill anyone and all this. But when he's pushed to his limit here, he just releases the energy and then says, oh, thank heaven, they're still alive. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because he could have easily killed them. But I guess whatever mental controls he has just knocked them out. Yeah, and then and then he apologized to them. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he is so much the golly gee whiz character, you know, yeah. that it just fits perfectly. I I I really like this, and like we were talking about the art. I love how Perez on sixteen, you see Quasar going nuts on the left hand yeah. side. Then you see what he sees in the center, but one is really happening on the right-hand side. They're in the exact mm-hmm. same positions and everything. It's just not, you know, in the center, it's Twisted, distorted yeah. on the right. It isn't. That's great. Yeah, it's it's really lovely how that is because we get an exact look into, oh, this is why he is uh, losing control right now, and then he just went. Now, it's, it's funny, the, they, the middle, the center panel, the far left, when you're looking mm. at, at, at Quasar, he looks like Carmine Infantino may have had a hand in drawing that. Whereas if you look on the far right, and that's, um, which one is that of the blonde one? 
Um, That's Letha. Letha. She mm-hmm. re- reminds me of an Art Adams type character, you know. Yes. Yeah. That's really bizarre. Yeah. Well, I mean, per- Perez was able to do that. He was able to this mimic is before Art stuff. Adams. And I mean, this yeah. that, that that right around the time that Carmine Infantino was drawing like that, as it was late in his mm-hmm. career. Yeah, and you know, I, I I think like that page in particular brings about everything that m- made Marvel really great in the Bronze mm-hmm. Age. It's very much style as uh, in in the style of a Neil Adams from like the late '60s, early '70s when he would like, especially in his X Men work, like with those center panels. Yeah. And then just the the composition and the up close of Quasar and his eyes and the the look on his face, I, Perez really knocked it out of the park. I think particularly on that page. I mean, that's a phenomenal page. And then the next page, like you mentioned, Gene earlier, just when he finally lost it, that's a very such a a panel or a style of artwork that was really uh, used well in a lot of Marvel books at the time. I would equate it with something that like Marshall Rogers was doing around that time. But it made me think more of his like Mr. Miracle stuff that Terry Austin was inking. Some great stuff. Uh, yeah. Nigel, what do you think about Giant Man's participation here? I mean, there's some great scenes of the Giant Man in here as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, this... Uh this is where he starts to really get into it. And you say with Perez's artwork, he's, I, I really like the way Perez draws Giant Man here and the battle with the, the ladies there. Yeah. I like when he, when he grabs yeah. Titania by the head. And <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is with both Perez and Byrne, when you get a giant character, you know that they're giant. You can somehow feel that they're larger, more massive than everybody around them. And not all comic yeah. artists are able to convey that like they did. And Perez did it here in spades. He really knocked it yeah. out of the park. Yeah, you're really right, Brian. They're really good um, yeah. at that. That's that's a good pointing out. I thought in the, in the earlier issues drawn by Byrne as well... Giant Man seemed a little bit unsure of himself. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, but here he seems to be getting into it more, beginning to realize what he can do and how strong he is. I still can't hear oh. Lawrence Fishburg's voice, though. <laughs> in it. Yeah, uh, like in, in it. last issue, those panels where Giant Man was putting, you know, growing out of his costume in the elevator and then putting it on and then you got those three panels of the <clears throat> giant man black goliath and then bill foster as giant man really glorious stuff really great stuff by burns yeah. um yeah it's just amazing well, uh, there's a lot of great stuff in this series ben had mentioned when they, they were fighting nuclo that were <clears throat> giant man just kind of waited in he didn't he didn't wait to assess the situation he just decided gay hey, told the, the handler to get on the way i'm going to beat this guy up and Ben comments or thinks to himself that he's really trying to prove himself, you know, yeah. because he, it, Giant Man himself had said, oh, well, I'm going to try to be a superhero now and I might as well, you know, prove that I, I'm as good as the rest of these guys. And I think from that issue to this issue, he has gotten his a little more confidence. So he's able to go up against uh, these two girls 
uh, excuse me, women, and you know, hold his on, hold his own. You know, even though they were trying to, you know, play dirty. Mm-hmm. Another observation I got here is going from the, the first page. You know, the the one major difference between Byrne and Perez in the way that they do their art is the way that they represent people's hair. Now, Byrne has some very specialized hairstyles that he goes with that we're all familiar with, and we like a lot because it looks good. It's appealing on the page. But Perez, when he handles women's hair especially, is that he has got so many different styles and and bits to go for. The, his version of long hair is not like anybody else's version. And in the first two pages, when you're looking at you know Thundra or Titania or any one of them, they all look very, very distinctive in how their hair is represented. Um, that's you know, it's just you know my observation there. In, in in regards to that, I, I noticed that you know when when he was handling Wonder Woman, of course, his handling of her hair is uh, just amazing. I, you can't imagine the amount of time he'd spend doing hair argle bargle, and I'll, I'll just refer to it as that. But <laughs> it's uh, it, it it is an interesting thing. But yeah, definitely, even from the first page, you see the the a huge difference in their styles in that regard. It's like it's mm-hmm. like here I am. I'm different than Burn, but I'm just as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last little thing on this. Mm-hmm. Um, on page ten, if I'm not mistaken, I believe we have the things first. It's clobbering time. In, 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 mm, in yeah. this whole yeah, right. this whole storyline is first time. Story, I think that's the first time I've seen it. It's clobbering time. I was wondering if there was going to be any or not. I'd not noticed it before. And then on page 11, uh, the top right panel, as you see uh, Quasar uh, responding to what's going on, that sure does look like Mark Hamill there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And can we just say how uh, they seem to be slipping in as much as possible the cutaway that yeah. we saw at the end of the first yeah, issue. I, I noticed it in the last issue, too, that Byrne and borrowed from the schematic that, that Grunewald did done. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're going to show where stuff is in in the project, you might as well use what you already gave now, the audience. Page 14, the center panel where Letha is attacking Quasar. Do you think this is where Madonna got her inspiration from, from that costume she did? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was just, yeah. All right, I don't have anything else. <laughs> I don't have anything either. All right, I think we can, uh, I think you're on deck, Kirk. All righty. Let's see if I can uh, advance to uh, Marvel 2-in-1, number 57. This was on sale in August of uh, 79 for 40 cents in the United States. I assume that's 12B over in England. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Okay. I borrowed a uh, synopsis from someplace else uh, as well, and I've embellished it a little bit. The issue starts with all, all the major Project Pegasus security figures in a meeting, obviously based upon the events of the previous four issues. Something big is up. While Quasar puts the whole place on alert, Ben goes to talk to Thundra, who refuses to tell Benny, uh, Ben anything for fear of jeopardizing her reward. 
Elsewhere in Pegasus, Wondar is up and walking at long last. That's why this issue is titled, When Walks Wondar. How creative. Okay, so he's walking at long last, though he seems lost in his own head. Unfortunately, his new powers are shutting off all power as he passes, and that includes the power to the detention cells that holds Solar. Solar attempts to zap and then physically attack Wondar to no effect. As Wondar wanders off, Solar decides to get some help in his escape. <laughs> Electro proves worthless due to being in a full body cast, but Solar soon finds and awakens Claw, and the two make a break for it. Back at security, the computers turn up one name who's been at all the trouble, and to Ben's utter lack of surprise, it's Dr. Thomas Leitner. Unfortunately, at about the same time, Leitner has completed his nth projector and activates it in an attempt to restore his one-time powers as Black Sun. Claw and Solar's escape has been noted, and Ben, Quasar, and Giant Man head after them, expecting to find Leitner. Surprised, Quasar is quickly taken out by Solar, leaving Ben to slow the escape attempt using a gimmick from one of them old Roadrunner cartoons. You know, he grabs the rails of the rail car and he snaps a loop, which travels down the track and flips the car off. In the meantime, Wondar has reached his goal, the Cosmic Cube, and begins to commune with it. Well, Quasar has recovered his sight now and flies to confront Solar, being prepared for him and absorbing his energy to feed it back to him. Black Goliath can't penetrate Claw's force field, but Ben has an idea. Instead of beating on the force field, he presses one finger into the field and then increases the pressure steadily. Claw can't handle this assault and ultimately collapses. Well, Giant Man, as I should have called him, Giant Man ultimately throws a wrecked car at Claw. As our three main heroes, Ben, Giant Man, and Quasar mull over why the two villains only fought when confronted, and that they really don't know about Dr. Leitner, they suddenly notice their voices fade away, and too late, Ben realizes that Claw has been recharging himself with the very sound vibrations from their voices. A mighty blast knocks them all out, and Claw advances on Ben, threatening to turn his brain to mush with his sound converter pressed against Ben's skull. Cliffhanger ends with the T's for part six to the nth power. And that's what I've How got. many times did we have to say one dar with two R's and solar with two R's? Just a... Well, that's a that's an effect of being held at Project Pegasus for so long. Everything gets... Solar. One dar, roll the, roll the R. Yeah, I was wondering if there was yeah. two wanna... W's in claw. Uh. <laughs> no, no. I really like this cover. It's dark blue and highlights the thing holding up I believe this is a rail car. Yeah. It's not clear. At first, I thought this was a giant boot that he was uh, being squished <laughs> by. But mm. apparently, it's not because the rails can be seen behind him. And then there's sort of this funny insert, this scarlet insert in the bottom right corner that says, also within Project Pegasus, Wondar Wakes. That looks like a tr- trading card. Yeah, you know what I'm does. saying? Like, yeah. like, cut it out and trade it with your friends, you know? <laughs> well, it's not stamps. Wait. It's I odd that like this. this is the thing and Wondar, yet they have to tell you that Wondar awakes. So it's like, I didn't think the story was going to be Ben and a sleeping Wondar. Hey, uh, guys, true. did your copy have a weird thing on the uh, UPC code? Yes. Uh, I was going to skip that. Yeah, it is very like, strange, whatever the image is uh, that I'm reading online. I, who's got well, a copy of the, the I, have, I have a physical copy in the UPC. Okay. Fine. It must okay. have been the scanned be image. Scan. 
uh, just had a, a very specific type of thing there. I think it was in, intentional for the scan. Oh. Okay. Well, they miss also they miscolored Quasar's. His cape is blue. Mm-hmm. Well, he yeah. looks like a boy. Or his slaves. <laughs> well, he is young. I know, but he looks like a a, a kid. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, those are the correct colors yeah. for him. His cape is blue, and so are his sleeves. Yeah. Is it? Oh, yeah. okay. I thought his cape was but, red. Like, Foster looks no. rough, it's, almost it's... like he's a Gil Kane oh. character. A giant man. Yeah. Mm. He he got the worst of the crash, apparently. And the thing's leg looks... <laughs> that might be Milgram. The thing's leg looks a little wonky to me. I don't know if that... I don't think it's Perez. I think it's probably more Milgram uh, for those those bits there. It's, yeah, his... His bent knee is not as well defined right. as it should be. Um, great cover, yeah, though. I like it. I like it. Great cover and a great, great, uh, well, not the splash, but the splash plate is good, too. I love the yeah. way they're using the monitors to introduce all the characters and use them to give the credits. That's a very, you know, very George Perez insert boxes with everybody's headshots. He does that mm-hmm. a lot. Tim, I was thinking the same thing. That is such. I, I've always thought that was so cool when they in when. So it that's almost like breaking the fourth wall, kind of in a way, because it integrated the credits or whatever the flashback. So I always thought that was cool when they did that. And are they under the cone of silence? <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I thought a Green Lantern had done under that. the cone of silence, but they've got a a close-up of each face so that you can lip-read what they're saying <laughs> and defeat it. And, well, but next, at least there's a door in the Cone of Silence. Mm. Next two pages are, in fact, a double-page spread that, in effect, does the same thing. Flashbacks in each of the monitors telling the prior, the, the prior five what episodes, inserts, Four. yeah, encounters. I don't know the right word there. Yeah. And... Uh, Everybody has uh, a line or two to explain or tell what's going on. And then along the bottom, they kind of advance the storyline, and Ben takes that, off that on his own. Ben so. and Titania um, in the bottom, and Athundra in the bottom third panel doesn't really mm-hmm. look, you know, it's scandalous. Uh. <laughs> well, which way is Ben facing? He's facing the floor. Oh, okay. That's, right, that's, that's what she was standing hands I, I got it. It's just, you, it, yeah, you really oh, yeah. have to look at it to realize is, that. Otherwise, it looks scandalous. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. <laughs> oh, and remember, we were going to look back and see where the cable was on Deathlock. It's drawn correctly here. Where with the cable the goes. Flag. With the American with flag. the American flag. flags back, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. This, this, this. The this double page is really probably got into knowing who Perez was. You know, he had a reputation of one drawing thousands of characters and being very detailed. And that's what you know. You've got almost five issues of story in these screens behind everyone, and they're all very well detailed. It's none of it is, and you can tell exactly what's going on. Um, it's it's really. I mean, it's, he's crammed everything in here, but it's not so busy you can't tell what's going on because he's using this bubble to block out the screen to make a monochrome yeah. mm-hmm. so that they don't interfere with the characters we're looking at that are on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, if you in the day and age when you didn't get consistent issues on a newsstand all the time, if you have happened to miss one or all previous ones, this was a great way to get caught up. Yeah. And I always loved it when they would, when 
they when a doubles page spread would be like this, where you have like the top two thirds like this, and then it advances the board. It's really a cool. Yeah, they did a really if great. If you job. look on the page three, it's the right side of the double page spread in the middle panel on the bottom. That man is playing Galaga. He didn't think we'd notice, but we did. <laughs> and he kind of looks like Tom Cruise too, but that's not possible because Tom Cruise wasn't even, you know, he was just a kid time. But uh, yeah, but he looks more like old crusty Tom Cruise, not young. All the right with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. So, who is Margaret holding a picture of? That's kind of odd. Who's what? Margaret oh, yeah. on the oh, left. Okay. She's holding a picture of someone. Who is that? I can't figure. I can't figure it out. And as much as I try to use my thumb and my index finger to make it bigger, it's not working on my page. So uh, I thought it was one of the female grapplers. No, it's somebody wearing a mask. That's not. Mm. It looks. Screaming Mimi doesn't wear a mask. Well, she wears a like a domino mask. This looks like somebody's wearing a full head mask and like kind of big bug eyes. Okay. Almost, okay. Almost uh, looks like blue yeah, beetles. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. I think, right. it's, I think it's not it's, important. I was just like, who is that all of a sudden? I think it's supposed to be a picture of Deathlock. If you look at Deathlock, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. left the same Yeah, picture. okay. Yeah, that Those, makes sense. The, the, the symbols, the circles on the head seem to seem the same as Deathlock's yeah, face. Yeah, you can see that right eyes. above. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay. Good catch there. I don't know who she is. I she's obviously carried she's over director, from previous issues. One of the directors. Yeah. Yeah. I thought she was going to have a larger role when they introduced her, but apparently not. Yeah. Okay. What else do we want to share with this issue? Why does Solar's eyes look like he's been taking meth for two weeks? Well, he's uh, I don't know depleted. He's uh, in the in the synopsis that I saw. They literally have a have a uh, footnote here that says Solar was an extremely minor villain who first appeared in Captain America 160 and never hit it yeah. big. Eventually, dies ignominiously yeah. in Power Man and Iron Fist 113, and he worked together with Clawback in Avengers 126. Now, I like on page 10, you know, how he basically is jumping at Wondar, and all that energy gets pulled away, so he falls on his butt, and then the next panel, you see him rub- basically rubbing his backside. <laughs> Where are you? Page, uh, page 10. Page 10. It's the third and fourth oh, okay. panel. It, yeah, they're basically showing that Wondar has this null field around him that he absorbs, like, apparently all energy. So kinetic even and, kinetic energy yeah. is inertia. is absorbed so <laughs> yeah. that his inertia is gone. Um, you know, there's a lot of great stuff. Like, even on the next panel, when Solar meets Electro and the top, those three yes. panels are just so funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, oh, sure, you'd be a big help. You can't even move. <laughs> They take me with you, man. Come on, bro. Don't leave me here. <laughs> oh my god. Say, I gotta go look back at Spider-Man 187. Yeah. See, and it's great. I, you know, I really loved the way Marvel would just clue you in that 
Sinon, into the greater universe, even though it didn't have to be specifically, yeah. everything had to be so connected. Mm-hmm. Um, you just referenced it. It was great. Well, yeah, and that, that was, that's what I love about the modern comics have stopped doing that because it made you, one, it, it did make you think, oh, there's a bigger world out there. And it made you want to go find this story and read it because you want to see what happened to, uh, as he said, a building fell on him and he broke a few bones. <laughs> looked like he broke everything. Yeah. I, it looked like he broke everything. I actually remember this, this issue because it was like the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man I ever bought myself. And uh, yeah, he he oh, really? overloaded in the building in this building, and the whole building exploded around him as Spider-Man and Captain America were getting mm-hmm. away. So yeah, uh, I remember that. I'd broken my thumb. I'd hit a pole playing tetherball, and uh, I had to go to the hospital get my handset. And so, as I'm waiting out in the waiting room, uh, my dad says, "Well, here's a little money. Go to the gift shop there and see if they got any you know any magazines or anything." And they had Spider-Man. Uh, comic books. Dang. You guys just brought back one of those crazy memories. <laughs> Shut up now. Bottom of page 14, Solar comes across Claw's sound converter, his, uh, what, his wrist, his cannon, whatever you want to say, and he immediately assumes that they've killed him mm-hmm. because they've got his weapon. Um, that's pretty extreme, but... Uh, you know that that I kind of like that because shows Solar is not the brightest candle <laughs> in the drawer, I guess. Um, well, and then he, he recreates him and brings him back. I guess he'd been gone since Black Panther fifteen or something. Well, think about it, Kirk. I mean, he's in a quote unquote research facility. Yes. In a black ops government facility <laughs> who knows what they've been doing to this i mean and even ben is like oh i'm sorry wonder that i turned you over to them to experiment on you so even ben knows something weird is going on here so yeah. this is not i mean, I, I don't know that solar is like what <laughs> what did they do to you dude well at least with what say when when i, I also love how solar goes by nuclear and he goes now nah, he's too stupid i'm not taking no <laughs> <laughs> sympathy there He's uh, just thinking the name, man. That's just too <laughs> stupid of a name. <laughs> but at least with Nuclear, it may it may seem like they are trying to help him. With these other guys, they're just studying them. They're just you know without their you know, I guess it's like you're gonna be in jail. We might as well maybe get off, get some time off of good behavior if you let us do some experiments on you. Um, <laughs> <but>. Yeah. <laughs> Up to this point, I'd only known Claw from the Fantastic Four cartoons. Right. Mm. Which, and that's basically a retelling of FF56, his first costumed appearance. Yeah, because... That's all my, I knew him from, too. Most of my knew him from his Secret Wars, where he was kind of the goofy... Oh, yeah, he was, he was yeah. completely... He is I so out of character yeah. there. Yeah. And then I didn't know Black Sun at all. No. I think I was a, a one-off, and that was it. Well, I mean, there's so many characters that have black in their name. Um, that I, I mean, or, or dark something. There's that guy that, that wears a dark costume, and he's got a lightning bolt that comes off of his head. Right. Blackout. Blackout. But he's DC, and 
Yeah, yeah. he's DC. No, no he's Marvel. Oh, no, he was Black with the Gold. Nova Champions or whatever. Oh, okay. And Carmine Infantino drew him, and he was the weirdest looking character. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't he? Didn't he suffer brain damage when they uh, when they that Avengers mansion attack yes. during the Avengers uh, yeah. siege? Under late two hundreds. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Should, shouldn't they all have had brain damage at some point? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I think he 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 pushed his powers too far and it gave him he went to a coma or something or killed him. Yeah. Yeah. Now Solar, did he survive Scourge? Because he seems like the kind of guy that would gotten killed by the Scourge. We can only hope. Sounds like he would have died in the big bar. Yeah, that's that's no, what I was thinking. Assassination. Survived. Uh, in Power Man and Iron. Oh, Fist, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that earlier. I, I don't know how. One thirteen. Yeah. I'll find out for you, real quick. But you guys keep vamping. <laughs> I'd like to just raise a point about um, the time factor for this story. Uh, I found it interesting. This, it seemed as if uh, all the parts of the story up to now, the incidents seemed to be happening one after another in quick succession. Yeah, but then on page three of the of the double spread there, um, then says about the excitement ain't let up in the two weeks I've been here. Mm-hmm suggesting that from issue 53 to now two weeks have passed yeah there was an, another mention yeah, of, like, of like the thing mentioned you know we you had this last week issues. in a previous issue mm. when you oh. look through the issues he it seems as I said that they're taking place more or less straight one after the other within a day of each other anyway these different incidents well, like well, how that goes for superheroes I think, looking back, I think that after they defeated the robot Deathlock, between there and when the next incident starts, which is, yeah, when, when Lightner releases Nuclo, there's probably, there's got to be about at least five days goes by where nothing happens. <laughs> well, there's also the, the parallel structure of Thundra's wrestling career that's yeah. going on as yeah. well and that but, can't all take place in the same day so no. yeah there is some implied uh, yeah. time passage here but I had the same sense hmm. in reading this that these were supposed to be boom 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 one right after another yeah, it seems like that yeah at first but then when you read it all in one go and you get to this bit well for me anyway and where he says there's already been two weeks gone and I thought what? <laughs> well, it's probably there's probably a, a gap between 55 and 56 because you open 56 with Thundra and the grapplers yeah. already. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, they've they've had to do some type of planning. They've had to get her involved and get there. So there's probably I yeah. would say four That's or five second, days there. That's like the second gap for me. Yeah. 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 Don't give Marvel uh, any ideas yeah, or they're going to release 57.1 uh, yeah. or 57.2. Yeah. I was reading these six issues that are collected into a Project Pegasus trade paperback, but they also include issue 60, and I don't know what happens in 60. I don't know why that that would be necessary. Does anybody know? Let me look real quick. 
just, yeah, and while he's pulling that up, I looked. Up, I imagine it's a flashback. I looked up Power Man and Iron Fist one thirteen, and they're in like some facility a lot like uh, Project Pegasus or the Vault, and I think it's the Vault because it's got the guardsmen. A solity. It's. Are you it's got the the guardsmen in, in the green armor that that Stark had provided, uh, and there's uh, just one character in there that's causing all the people, to, you know, some people that are dead even to get up and start walking around like zombies, and one of them just chases down Solar. Okay. Model two and one sixty is Thing and Impossible Man. The the only connection I see is because apparently at some point in there. They go to the Marvel offices, and Mark Grunewald and Ralph Macchio are characters in that issue. Uh, hmm. okay. There's no other connection I can well, see. Well, they wrote it. And, and it's just Impossible Man. Who doesn't want an Impossible Man story in your collection? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's, a, that's a given. <laughs> right? Thanks, David. <laughs> well, apparently in that one, George Perez also is in that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having my back on that, Dave. Yes, which, by the way, the tornado warning did not sweep us all away. We're all fine. Kids are talking oh, about it. Yeah, they had a, a bad had a tornado it dropped, dropped off for a bit, but everybody was talking. I didn't want to break in and say, hey, y'all, you know, David may die, but it's okay. Are you sure, David? <laughs> look, look out your window. Are you not I, I would, through the clouds, are you? I would finish the podcast. That would be my, my legacy. David, David has a cellar. He's not going to die. Let's make sure we put a tribute on the end of this episode dedicated to the memory of our friend and colleague. <laughs> With some sad music. Yeah. Well, we've already got your replacement. You're out and Nigel's in. I mean, come on. <laughs> you son of a... Okay, so wrapping up this particular uh, issue, is there any other comment about the artwork that you guys want to share? Yeah, just... this is beautiful. And again, lovely use of Zipatone throughout. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and just some great panels here, like in the uh, the final pages, the final three or four pages. I mean, just just some really great stuff in that final battle between Quasar and Solar. Mm-hmm. Uh, just some good stuff. Um, Gene, you must have thought that was really cool. I don't know. Um, well, I, I see it's another instance where, okay, Quasar is not prepared to go up against Solar, so our blinds him. Then it's it's the standard... Marvel situation. Spider-Man gets defeated by the villain, then figures a way around it, and comes <laughs> back and defeats right. the villain. Same thing here, except right. now, you you see just how ticked Quasar is, because he's not just flying at the guy, he's flying bubbling with energy. Yeah. <laughs> and just it's like, oh, you're you're doing the same thing? Okay, well, I'll I'll take it back, and you can have some, some of my power right back at you, and then Solar just collapses yeah yeah you're right and then like a couple pages later between claw and the thing man oh just some great stuff the only what i thought there it's like okay the slow blade penetrates the shield that's what i thought (laughs) but that's the thing using his brain for one yeah not just raw power he's like wait a minute i've got some experience here i'm gonna Mm mm-hmm so some really good some really great artwork here. I mean, these are two of Marvel's powerhouses at the time, Vernon Perez. I mean, in the late seventies, I mean, they were they were the, the among the top like five. They were the young guys. There were five. Yeah, they were yeah, the young this guns. was the new guys coming up. 
And they were really setting a standard for a lot of storytelling style, and it was really amazing. You know, but they weren't the only ones that were that were blazing a trail. You had Keith nope. Giffen was starting in Legion of Superheroes somewhere around this time as well, and his style was very much, you know, not not too far off in that kind of Neil Adams realistic vein. Um, Mike Golden yeah. also was, but you know, Mike Golden yeah. was not did not have the speed of the other guys. And they were preceded a little bit by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, PBHM. Praise be his name. But (laughs) once again, his speed was nowhere, uh, you know, in in the league of Byrne and Perez, who were able to draw as detailed as they could at a higher speed than everybody else. But I I think Byrne still had the speed. Compared to others, like... But that was he was known for that. Yeah, I think he would he say he could do like three pages a day, which is kind of crazy. But then there are guys like Kerry Gamble who does great work, but he can never keep up the speed. That's why he couldn't get a lot of gigs because he just could not be as fast as. Um, or I think Art Adams is the same boat. I don't think Art Adams is very fast. He's very detailed and very good. Well, looking he didn't do a lot of writing. looking at Mike's Amazing World. When you look at George Perez, they said there are 484 story credits found. And that's going from 1974 to 2013. Is that when you retired? 2013, I thought it was later than that that you retired. And when you look at Burn, now that now it says uh, total pages for all stories, 11,638. And mm. then when we look at Burn, he's got 10, uh, 1,013 story credits, 21,036 total pages for all stories and that's from 1974 once again all the way up to 2014 where he did Triple Helix last I guess they don't count the uh, Fumetti books because that's technically not right, they're not, they're not counting that um, I see the Star Trek Romulan's Assignment Earth I'm looking to see if they got Country Doctor um, yeah Leonard McCoy Frontier Doctor there you are Yep. No, but his last published comic book art was Triple Helix in 2014. So, mm. mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. All right. Are we ready to the last one conclude? conclude. I think yes. so. Who has the last one? <laughs> <laughs> we, kept the, we kept the best for last. Well, last for last. Oh. Well. <laughs> Wait till I read my synopsis before we talk about how good it is. All right. <laughs> All right. We are covering our final part six issue of Project Pegasus. Marvel 2 and 1. Tim is blowing us all away because he wrote this himself. Oh, I didn't. I, I, <laughs> I, I think, I, Nigel, is it Nigel the only one that actually wrote his? I think so. so I, 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 Nigel, I'm going to stand up yeah. and I'm going to applaud. Sorry, Paul. Applaud. All right, there we go. Oh, mine's a combination of laziness and uh, time. So, Marvel 2-in-1, number 58. Our writer is Mark Grinwald and Ralph Macchio. Pencil is George Perez. Our anchor is Gene Day. Colorist is Carl Gafford. Our letter is John Kent Stange. Our color art is George <laughs> Perez and Terry Austin. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no offense to John Costanza. Uh, what about wait, George? George. Well, no, George. He, George is can't stand you. Um, editor is Roger Stern. Or editor in chief is uh, Jim Shooter. This costs forty cents uh, in honor of Nigel. This cost, and I converted for that time, eighty-eight yen. <laughs> <laughs> if they sold it over there, <laughs> they did. Yeah, which I better understand. Uh, our release date is September 4th, 1979, with the cover date is December 1979. 32 pages, 18 of which are story. Uh, this is reprinted in lots of places. Thing, Project Pegasus Saga, trade paperback, Central Marvel 2 and 1, Volume 3. And then there's they printed Thing, Project Pegasus hardcovers in 2010 and another trade paperback in 2018. And so... Our other burn books are Avengers 190, where he was penciler, Fantastic Four 213, he was penciler, and Uncanny X-Men 128, where he was penciler, co-plotter. Our title is Project Pegasus Part 6, The Nth Power. Hmm. Let's take a page here. Um, oh, Claw has the thing, Quasar, and Giant Man at his mercy, and is about to blast the thing at point-blank range when he suddenly discorporates and is shunted back into his sonic claw. This has been caused by Wondar, who who has now achieved a normal intellect and is calling himself Aquarian. When the thing revives, Aquarian explains to Ben that he has undergone this change after a second exposure to the Cosmic Cube. With the help of the Project Pegasus security staff, Ben and Wondar take Giant Man and Quasar back to the infirmary. Their Aquarian explains to Ben that he has detected a disturbance in the force, I mean, in the fabric of the reality. <laughs> Taking the thing down to the lower levels of the project complex, they find that Thomas Leitner has transformed into the nebulous Nth Man, a human-shaped sentient void that is literally sucking all reality into itself. Man explains. Insert ex-wife joke, <laughs> which I don't have. But Ooh, I have no comment. Nth <laughs> Man explains his plot to the two of them and his intention to absorb all reality, because if nobody they can't have it, nobody can have it. Aquarian then tries to stop Lightner by using his energy dampening powers, which succeeds only in turning off all the power in Project Pegasus including the energy bars of Thundar's holding cell. As Wondar, excuse me, Aquarian, continues to try and stop Nth Man, Quasar and Giant Man revive and meet up with Ben to see what they can do. They are soon also joined by Thundar. Thundar? The Barbarian? Thundra. Thundra. Oh, I was wondering when they were going to use the Sun Sword. That would have been helpful. (laughs) Ariel, Ookla, Sorry, shut up. (laughs) Quasar tries first to stop the creature with his quantum bands, excuse me, energy bands. However, they have no effect as Nth Man can absorb even its massive energies. Giant Man then decides that he is going to sacrifice himself to save the universe, hoping his size powers can, quote, plug (laughs) Nth Man. (laughs) Freezing. (laughs) Okay. When the others try to stop them, Mm-hmm. Giant Man reveals that he has contracted terminal cancer from his encounter with Adam Smasher, that he is doomed to die anyway, and jumps into the Nth Man. This play also does not work. <laughs> I took <laughs> a hard left. 
and in a desperate measure, Aquarian jumps. Everybody's jumping into the Nth Man. Aquarian <laughs> jumps into the Nth Man, hoping his powers can work from the inside. This does work in the hero's favor. And Aquarian and Giant Man are pulled out of Nth Man as Aquarian's very own powers cause Nth Man's absorptions to reverse, shutting the menace off to another reality. Although they, they although they are victorious, Quasar grimly wonders if their victory over the Nth Man has doomed some other reality in the multiverse. The battle over, Ben decides to return to the FF and bids farewell to everyone, including Wondar slash Aquarian, who decides to venture on his own and try to bring peace on Earth. The thing departs Living Bill to try and find a cure for his illness, Quasar resuming security details at the project despite doing a terrible job, and Thundra goes to investigate who her mysterious employers were. Unknown to all, the masterminds behind the attack on Project Pegasus is none other than the evil oil company Roxxon. Hoping to stop That's right. Hoping to stop the project in order to prevent a discovery of a perpetual fuel source that might cut into their oil profits. (laughs) However, the CEO of Roxxon writes off this failure as his organization has more lucrative measures in place that will soon come to fruition by raising gas to $7 a gallon in the future. <laughs> and, of course, he yeah. smokes cigarettes using a cigarette holder. So, <laughs> No, that makes he's, him evil. He's sophisticated. That makes him more evil. Okay, so, like, on that last page, if you look at the top of it, is it's the epilogue. Um, if you had no word balloons to say what was happening, doesn't it look like a wedding just happened? But you can't tell if the wedding is between Quasar and the Thing or Wondar and the blonde woman who looks like a poor man's Debbie Whitman. Uh, I think Aquarian. Yeah, because the third panel's got them, you know, in that very hard race. (laughs) But it made me think of the the medal ceremony in Star Wars. It looked like, oh, I always thought it looked like Luke and Han got married. (laughs) Right. Right. That's why Chewie was so upset. That's why Chewie didn't get medal. That's why Chewie wasn't invited to the ceremony. Mm. Okay, well, I, I have to, I, was, I have oh, to talk ahead, about baby. the cover. Oh, yeah. This, <laughs> you know, and I, I, you know, I'm not putting any words into, you know, George Perez's mouth, but there's no way he believed, because the cover says, and Marvel's latest, greatest superstar, Aquarian, <laughs> there's no way he bought into that no okay nobody was like i can't either did marvel <laughs> yeah i can't i can't wait to see you know aquarian in his own book did, did, did george design the aquarian's costume for this i mean the previous costume was I, from whatever they had from way back when but this costume right here it looks like something they stole from star trek the motion picture well that makes sense because they v-jured the end yeah <laughs> Well, and he has well, a boob, very... boob window, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, this, this figure of the Nth Man that's behind them, it never, it, I mean, you know, all the times I looked at this cover, it never made sense to me. Finally reading the story and seeing what happened, because this just looked like, you know, a bad image. You know, that yeah. that uh, faceted mm. image of whiteness. I mean, who just wants to look at, at a white panel? Like, like, you know, like six pages of a white panel. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, 
<laughs> let's not go there. Come on, I was thinking Alpha Flight, man. They don't want to make it too too snow uh, blind. They don't want to yeah. make it too uh, too busy because then you've then then the the, yeah. the figures wouldn't stand I, I, out. I, the but, whole book it kind of bothered me when they had that white image. And it's supposed to be everything getting sucked in there. It seemed like it should have been something else other than white. Like if they'd used Zipatone on the, the, the image instead of just a blank white, it might have been more visually dynamic. Or at least put some Kirby crackle yeah. in there. And it, Yeah, make them look like Eternity right. or something. Yeah. Because when Foster go and Aquarian go inside him, there's a universe there. So, but I think they—I don't know what the heck's I know, going I, on. I, I think though, that they use their Kirby Crackle allotment on page two. Oh yeah, probably with uh, with Claw. So they they say, oh no no, you you used enough Kirby Crackle. Now, I will say I like on page five when they're showing them all carrying carrying everybody in. They're carrying Solar, they're carrying Quasar, and then <laughs> the Aquarian is carrying Bill Foster, who's still giant sized. I just I just like that imagery. It looks funny. Yeah, for that one panel, and then the next panel, he's back to smaller, smaller size. Well, no, he's smaller. smaller. He's, he's, I mean, he can uh, change his size at will, right? He doesn't have to take yeah. any anything. As can no. we all. <laughs> the uh, the guard notice how one's carrying Solar, one's carrying Quasar, one's carrying giant man, and then there's this other celeb right in the middle who's carrying the vase that contains claw. Oh, yeah, yes. He's like, the most easy. <laughs> yeah, you can't make too much noise around that. At Luckily, one point, he's right next to Aquarian. Uh, Aquarian grows a beard, because if you look at his picture of yeah. a hot man, he's got a like a hippie beard. Well, I mean, um, he's supposed to be a cross between Jesus and Superman. Well, keep oh. also keep in mind, Aquarian, after this, makes three more appearances in Marvel 2-in-1. He's in Contest of Champions, mm-hmm. because everyone is. Then he is in the 1983 annual of Captain America and doesn't come back until 1989 in Quasar number 4. Because Gruenwald says, wait a second, we had this guy, right? And that's when he has mm-hmm. the beard. Because <laughs> he well, spent... Six years just wandering around. Years. <laughs> yeah, he was he was doing his. Uh, um, was he in, was he in the desert? Uh, he was. <laughs> that would be forty <laughs> on a horse with no name. Um, That's right. <laughs> well, he's such a product of the seventies. He seems like those goofy Spider-Man villains from the seventies that were such a product of the kind of that hippie movement that carried over from the sixties. That you know, look hey. at his, his outfit and. Hair. And the name. The name, exactly. <laughs> Dawning of the Age of Aquarius. Dawn yes. of the Age of Aquarius. So that's the star yeah. system of his native planet. Okay. Sure it is. Yep. I love those hospital beds. I want one. Yeah, those look really nice. That's a, the Tempur-Pedic of hospital beds. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a... <clears throat> Unstable molecule mattress. Well, my, I got a question on Aquarian that... He says that the he got exposed to the the cosmic cube, and now the power of the cube is inside him. But he just seems to generate this null field, and that I thought the cosmic cube was used to create. It could create anything. So what did he the have? Cosmic like cube kind of creation at, at that power. It was able to alter reality. Yeah. So maybe that's that's his null field is like that, but. Maybe it's waiting to catch on. At this point, mm. had they already determined that it was an Infinity Stone? 
I do no. not think so, no. They didn't know what Infinity Stones weren't even around, were they? No, no not until not. Thanos Quest, I think. So that yeah. was 90s. Course. Okay. Yeah. And that does not exist in my Ed canon. I refuse okay. yeah. to accept any of these gauntlet stones. That's out of the timeline. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk, really, you uh, really need to read Thanos Quest. It is a two-book two series, and it's very good. Let's wrap up yep. this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, well, the, the story for the most part, I mean, the artwork is great in some of the areas. The, uh, the imagery on page six and seven with the Nth Man, and again, I, I voiced my issue with the Nth Man's appearance in there. But um, these, these two pages just are like really uninspiring to me. And it, it almost doesn't look like Perez art in some of it. Because perspective and, and size, like on, on page seven, when you look at the thing and in, in the aquarium down there in the bottom right hand corner, that doesn't look like Perez drew that. Same thing with Deathlock. It's it, yeah, it doesn't look as detailed as the other two yeah. issues, and yeah, yeah, the, page, dynamic. the one page where it shows Inthman sucking everything into it, that definitely doesn't seem. It seems very scaled down from what George Perez would do, and I, I don't know. Maybe the inker was like, "I ain't drawing all that stuff." <laughs> So I'm going to erase a lot of it or whatever. And, and, and Gene Day is not that kind of guy. Gene Day is the kind of guy who likes to add detail. Yeah, I don't know. So it just seems different. Well, also, keep in mind, he was still a fairly young inker yeah. at this point. Yeah. You know, this was only like his, what, 12th or 13th book they worked on. Yeah. I mean, it's still an impressive image, but it just oh, yeah. doesn't seem as detailed as we've seen from George Perez. Uh, from the Corvac saga, previous issues, and anything else that he's done, but it's still, a, still, you know, still some good stuff. I think he was probably just looking at it as, you know, he was getting whatever the page rate was, and just cranked it out. Yeah, because you know, well, Tim, like- Tim talked about, you know, like this, you know, I think others too. It's been collected multiple times, and I don't want to give away too much, but after reading all this, which I had never read it before. I can't imagine why this was collected. It's agreed, except yeah. that it was an early story, an early saga. Uh, guys, it's really not that guys, good though. It starred Quasar. That's why guys, it was collected. you gotta understand okay. that the, again. We we would have originally read this when we were twelve or thirteen years old, and as a twelve or thirteen year old, when you're looking at stuff like this, you're going cool. Oh man, that's awesome! And then you're telling all your friends, you guys didn't read Project Pegasus. Yeah. I thought the same, the same thing about the. I thought the same thing about the Sears catalog, but I don't want to go back and revisit them. Oh, you yeah. should! I've seen a Sears catalog from the eighties. It's, it's a hoot. <laughs> no, Brian, you're right. Uh, you know, at thirteen years old, when I was collecting these, it was yeah. cool. Um, but to David's point, why it would be why it would be collected today? I mean, I, I really don't understand why it would be put out in its own book today, um, even with Quasar or Wonder or Aquarian. Unless... That's why. <laughs> but this yeah. was before it was all about Perez, right? I but, mean, I mean, the thing is, but, but Tim said this. Didn't, Tim, didn't you say this was like a 2010 
hardcover or something. It's like yeah, really? in 2018 they put out a trade paperback of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it was, was first collected in 88. Yeah. First collected in 88, and then they did 2009, 2010, multiple versions, hardcover, softcover, and then again in 2020. Which one has the black cover? No idea. Black cover with well, just it's, a single it's, figure. Like, is it going to uh, be a black cover? Hmm? It's probably the most recent one because that's when they came out with that style of yeah. the hardcovers. Marvel Tales yeah. Annihilation. Right, David? Like, yeah, like the, hard, the, the 2010 hardcover has a, a black cover with uh, – it's basically the, the image from issue 53 just rendered differently. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Dave, you know as, as, a, as, a, as a seller of funny books, uh, it's all about the trade. So they're going to, whatever they do to, and, and unlike, uh, 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 oh, that's cool. Unlike Marvel Team Up, I don't think they're in those. Most of those are just two-parters. It's like a handoff, a two-parter, the hands off to another two-parter and so on. This is like a six-part, even though there are different characters in it, it's actually a six-part story that that makes it easy to, to, to group and, tr- and sell as a, as a single. Yeah, I, I- I just, you know, some of the stories that we've, you know, revisited, I can see, you know, like, wow, this is actually really good, you know, but it was before my time, right? And I referenced multiple times, right, that, you know, I was I was born in February of 79, right? So I was a baby, and these issues really weren't prevalent in, um, you know, the quarter bin and 50 cent bins when I was a young and digging through unlabeled boxes, right? I, they just yeah. said 25 cents on them, right? And you just had to dig and you found what you found. You know, just looking at this whole thing collected, you know, reading it all in one sitting, um, I I mean, the story is okay. It's not great. There's a lot of just, I, I don't know, I feel like somebody try to make something that would rise to like a core box saga or something like that but it just it never got there mm-hmm. well other than the thing you're dealing with mostly c-level characters oh yeah there's no big hitters other than the mic and you have to remember what this also sets up because uh project pegasus comes back in a lot of different things but this sets up Grimwald's Quasar series. It sets up the unlimited class wrestling in the thing. It uh, Squadron Supreme when they come into the six one six universe after their whole mess in their own limited series, they end up at Project Pegasus. So well, that's because of Ant Man, right? Doesn't he invade their universe or something? Some hello. I don't remember off the top of my head. Hi. Uh, <laughs> They're all like, Hello? there's a woman on the phone. <laughs> no. Not, not bad. Just hi. hi. Yeah, hi. get out of here. We, weren't, we were not expecting that. Only. Hi, Tim. <laughs> we, we're hi. part of the... Hi. You better introduce this to our guests so they know who's here. So this is Beth, Brian's wife. And I thought I'd barge in to congratulate you all on your hundredth episode. It's a big achievement. Oh, 
thanks so much. That's awesome, She's got. We thought we could do it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he talks about his wife this, his wife that. I'm pretty sure it's all bad news. We didn't know he was married. How wonderful you are. But do. Don't tell me lies. I know already. Definitely not telling lies. But I just wanted to barge awesome. in, take a moment, congratulate you guys on your hundredth episode. Thank All you. Right. We appreciate your your uh, sparing him for so many hours with of us. Of course, I would never deprive him of something he loves to do. Not ever. Plus, that's 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 me time for you, right? You're like, Tay, go go ahead. Well, dude. that's true too. <laughs> Get out of my hair. That's a secret. You don't tell my secrets. <laughs> and I won't know what it is until I edit this. <laughs> I got too much wrong with Seriously, guys, that. I can't hear you. <laughs> Sorry, Beth. Yeah, he's like, I can't hear you guys. Seriously, can't hear you. I won't know what's being said till I edit this. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. That's so sweet of you. Thanks. Brian is so lucky to have married someone 30 years younger than (laughs) (laughs) Points scored. There you go. (laughs) Well, hopefully one of these days we can all get together. And Tim, I'm sorry we keep missing you, but I hope that Fenella is doing well. Please tell her I said hello. I will. Yeah, she was. She was on the. Uh, she was on the show last I night. No, if I didn't have to work today, I would have attended. I promise. It's all right. Uh, well, great we're, time. we've had we've had Beth, we've had Fanula. Now we need to get Fred. So John, you got to get Fred on the on the on a call. Okay. I'll work and on. David, you you got to get your wife, and Kirk, you got to get your wife. Hey, um, how come you know Fred, but you don't know my wife's name? <laughs> or, I've, met, I've met Fred. Or Kirk needs to bring his daughter on, and we'll do Submarine. There you go. Oh, there you go. That's a possibility. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. We all have to get over COVID first. Oh, gosh. No kidding. I still have effects left over from COVID from a few weeks ago. So it hasn't been fun. But listen, guys, I won't take up too much of your time, but I just want to congratulate you all and say hello and uh, wish you uh, well, and I hope you, I wish you 100 more. Thank you, All love. Right. Good night. Here, honey. All right. All right. Thanks, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go ahead. And on that cheerful note, I think it's time to wrap this one up. Mm-hmm. So, shall we give an overall impression of uh, each one? Give us an overall impression of the saga, the Pegasus. Yeah, I already project. gave mine. Yeah, David yeah, just let, did. Let, let Nigel yeah. give his overall. Ooh, all right. Overall impression. Uh, yeah, well, when I first read it, which was way back when, yeah, as you were saying, you were all teenagers or younger. I was 21. Hmm. <laughs> but I still thought it was a good a good read. I enjoyed the artwork. And, uh, yeah, the story, I enjoyed most of it. As you say, it seemed to peter off a bit towards the end. And I don't know as I actually really understood the ending the first couple of times I read it, but uh, I still think it's worth a read, you know, and it's it's pretty good. As you say, it was a six part story in which was mainly just a one off story title uh, most of the time up until this. So, yeah. I thought it was good. I mean, the artwork 
was excellent from both yeah, Byrne and Perez. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, I still read it from time to time. So, yeah, I would give it the thumbs up. I would give it a A minus, maybe. Now, and, and I'll, I'll go next here. Thanks, uh, thanks, Nigel. Um, you know, this is one of those I didn't get off the off the racks. Uh, I, I picked this up uh, in my early twenties uh, when I was digging through the long boxes at Heroes Workshop, and I was able to piece it together. Though I didn't get it all in order, and so I didn't quite read it in order. And then later on, I finally, you know, was able to. Um, and it to me was you know standard Mark Grunewald kind of writing, and I'd gotten accustomed to his writing from reading his Captain America and Squadron Supreme, and I can't say that I was really the biggest fan of his writing because he he has similar themes he likes to throw into uh, into into things, and I, I didn't read the Quasar series at all. Sorry, Gene. Uh, so. Okay, but, but you know it, it is what it is. But uh, you know, whenever I went for this story, I always went for the art. I always went to to, to look at the art itself, and and so I rarely read the text of it. So you know, a lot of the story and all just kind of went by me over the years. That's that's pretty much it. John, I'm kind of giving us your yeah. You know, I read this you know off the racks uh, Marvel 2 and 1 was one of the extra books that I always bought because it had the thing and it was cool and um, uh, yeah I guess you know from back then overall you know I liked it well enough uh, it was the thing and you know whoever um, now rereading it um, I don't find it too bad of a story I think it's yeah, I've got to keep I, I I tend to keep these books in their context and not putting too much of a, a 2021 spin on it because then it would take any joy out of the way it was. What? He's old behind. We're 2022. 2022, whatever. I, I tried, <laughs> you know. It's late. tired and he's late. <laughs> whatever, you know, I'm just trying not to put a spin on on it from now i'm trying to enjoy it in the context it was and i do um the like nigel said the artwork is from both artists is really fantastic and um uh yeah i like it well enough and to the point we talked about earlier why it's been reprinted so many times and collected i don't know because it's not that impactful of a story um it is very odd that we had at that time period, a six-issue arc, because that was not very common at the time. We had three at the most, most times, uh, until we had the Phoenix Saga, which kind of set the standard, I guess, for longer story arcs. But, um, yeah, I think overall, I, I would give it an A- minus to a B plus. I think overall it was a, it's a, it's a entertaining story. You know, it had a good enough comedy. Artwork is great. The writing kind of pulls you through well enough. So, yeah, well, good enough story. Wow. That's, That's it. Great. Who's next? Kirk. Kirk. Well, I, I guess I'm going to take a page from Dave's book. I, I'm, I was probably uh, in my, my master's, my fifth year of college earning my master's when this came out. 
And although I may have picked it up off the spinner rack and flipped through it, it wasn't engaging enough for me either to care about it or to remember it. So I did not read it until just uh, as we were going through tonight. Um, I understand why it would be collected because it's a convenient package and it's got that great alliteration, Project Pegasus. I mean, that's mm-hmm. wonderful. You can hang that on a on a on a peg, um, and you can package it and you can sell it. And for nostalgia, I can see where it would appeal, but I'm not thinking that it's that great a story. It's just an artifact of the time, and so I won't I won't kick against it. But uh, it doesn't have as much meaning um, to me as the Dark Phoenix saga or Korvac or Wendigore Mountain or anything else. I've enjoyed the the show tonight, but I just don't think it's that outstanding of a story. Yeah, you're a brilliant man, Kirk. I agree. There, I mean, the Wonder Gore saga over in Avengers was far better than this for sure. Mm-hmm. But this is an enjoyable read. Yep, uh, I agree. My, I'll put my two cents in. Um, I or a dollar. Or my dollar. <laughs> yeah. Your twelve p. My twelve p. Eighty eight yen. <laughs> Well, that would be that being euros. Uh, no, I did. This is my first time to read this, and I've, I've got a, a soft spot for bronze, especially compared to what they're putting out now. But I've got a soft spot for Bronze Age books. So I do you like do John? I, I, I kind of read it for the put it in the time of when it was, and it's a a fun little story. It it has the same kind of baggage that I think Marvel Team Up and this book have that they're constrained with needing to bring in a different character for the main character to team up with, yet still tell a cohesive story. So some of this feels a little bit like filler in order to move everybody around and bring in somebody like, well, we got to have a new person, so let's bring this person in. So uh, in that case, I mean, I, the artwork is great. Um, it, you know, a couple of these issues, like this one that I just did and the last burn were a little rougher than the others, but overall, the, I think the artwork is phenomenal. And story-wise, you know, I'd you know, we don't usually grade our books, but I would give it a solid like B plus, A to B plus for just being uh, for what it sets up. To your point, Gene, it sets up things that do come in. They build on later. Uh, you know, we do. You know, this has got I mean, no real milestones, but we get new new giant man. We get a new character with Aquarian. We get that guy gone. You know, um, a little more Quasar. So they're not. Big milestones, but that's that's something. So overall, I mean, I would, if you're into Bernard Perez, read it. Um, if you're a Thing fan, read it. Um, if not, then you could probably skip it. All right, you ready for the 100% biased review? Absolutely. <laughs> sure. Go here's, for it. here's the thing for me, being that my favorite Marvel character is Quasar, and most of what. Gruenwald does at the beginning of Quasar's series, and also when he joins the Avengers, is based in this. I have to say it is an A story. <laughs> uh, awesome. What you you see it in here? The um, his wanting to be uh, the ideal, but he is, has a sense of uh, he is not good enough. That carries on. That defines the character for, I want to say, two years after he you know comes back in '89 and works through it. So that that all stems from here to the point where in 
Quasar issue number two, they reference this several times. To the you you see the chain of Thundra Quasar thing Aquarian going into the Nth Man. So for me, and just because of the character history that this is uh, laying down, it is top notch. Like you guys said, though, if you're if you're not a huge Quasar fan, if you haven't or don't plan on reading the series, yeah, it's probably just another series of two and one stories. But because Jim Shooter was the editor in chief and this is an actual six part story that they, I guess, snuck by him. <laughs> I think it, it is worth the collection. Just, hey, look what we got by. Yeah. Well, Jay, is, is, is Quasar still around in, like, current Marvel timeline? Yeah. Uh, okay, you ready for this this bit? <laughs> Apparently, and I, I haven't read much of the recent stuff, but the latest things that I've read, there are two Quasars. <laughs> there is Wendell Vaughn, and there is Phyla Vell, daughter of Marvell, both of which have quantum bands, and... When they bang them together, one whoever's in the positive universe goes into the negiverse, and the other one comes out. So the little Rick Jones, Captain Marvel thing going on. Yeah, but that, weren't those the negabands that did that? Yeah, but now apparently the quantum bands do it too. Oh, okay. What's the difference between the quantum bands and the negabands? Two completely different things. The Negabands were something the Kree invented. They're more or less the Kree trying to make the Quantum Bands. The, the Quantum Bands are something that only the Protector of the Universe has. And what happened is they got lost with the Uranian Eternals, which is how Bob Grayson got them. And he brought them to Earth. And Quasar got them and eventually realized, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing because Eon came in and said, hey, you're my protector. Here's here's how you use these things and went from there. Yeah, Brian, everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I can go on for another hour if you want. No, I think everybody's pretty much done. And, and yeah, I mean, really, you know, we've, we've been at this for just over three hours. Um, it's been a lot of fun. But uh, we've got the books covered. And now we actually don't have any feedback to read. So uh, we'll just remind everybody to, you know, that isn't on this show today, tonight, because they already do it. <laughs> they already write, write, write us. I mean, Gene wrote us a nice five-star review on on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. Of course, it, it fell off. But uh, and, 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 of course, Nigel writes us all the time, and we really appreciate it. But we want you to write. Yeah, you. To write us at gotta get burned at gmail.com or you can write to us on our Facebook page, Third Degree Burn. We're getting new members every day now and they don't even know what we do. Though I, I just put a thing out today letting everybody know what it is that we do. So, you know, hopefully that clears that up. Quite well, actually. Good job. <laughs> well, I, got, I got a chuckle out of that today and I had to play into it. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. You and Thomas Revor. Uh, anyway, and of course, like I said, Apple Podcasts, Warbly iTunes, we'd love to get a review from you there. Hopefully you give us five stars, because that just uh, opens us up for more people to find us. So please, let us know how we're doing. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what you want us to do next. 
And if you write us enough, you might wind up on the show. Believe me, it's happened to plenty of people. Four of which are here right now. (laughs) Five of which. Five of which. (laughs) Holy cow. Well, well, you know, did you leave us that five-star review recently, Gene, or back? This was like the first review we got. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought he'd give us, because, you know, our offer still stands. You can give us a five-star review. You get to well, pick I a mean, book. Well, if Gene wants to join us so for an I'm episode, gonna... he can pick a book. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, that's always Does Vern draw a Quasar anymore? Invitation. Yeah. Gene and Nigel, thanks for joining. That was so cool to have you with us. Oh, thank yes. you for thank having you us. Both. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, you know, obviously, Gene, but Nigel, big thanks for, you know, what's early morning for you, and you took the time, and, and you know, <laughs> It doesn't mean just because you've been on the show, you have to stop writing again. You can still yeah. keep writing again and tell us what we're doing oh, yeah, wrong, what we're doing I right. Will, I will, I will, yeah. 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 Don't well, be surprised if you don't get invited back. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's just like, you may want to rephrase that. <laughs> yeah. A hundred episodes. Yeah. No, I've enjoyed the, I've, I've enjoyed the experience. Yeah, it, it's been a, uh, Pretty intensive show, yeah. Um, I've enjoyed it a lot, a lot. Thanks, thanks for asking me on to the hundredth show. Well, I'm on. And you on know, the, the best part yeah. is that you know everybody who's been so good tonight that just it's going to require very little editing, except for one part. Uh, <laughs> one part. <laughs> one, one part. Uh, John. Johnny. <laughs> no. Uh, it, was oh, that the wife? Was that the wife? No. And an F bomb. No. no yeah. A little left bomb that, that slipped in there, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, well, don't worry, we'll take care of that in uh, in some grand way. But uh, yeah, I just want to say, you know, a hundred episodes, and uh, obviously Tim and I have been here since the beginning recording these, and it's been a blast doing it. And if, if I understand rightly, pretty much. I mean, I'm not sure about Nigel, but I know that David and John were there from almost the very beginning as well. And Gene, of course, you know, he's been a contributor from from the very beginning. So uh, just, you know, want to thank you all for that. And thank you for being a part of this, because this show's been a lot of fun. It's something I look forward to do that I don't get paid for. So, I mean, that really says something. It all started at IHOP. And we met the first time, Brian, at IHOP and discussed what the show would be. Is that when you found each other on Craigslist <laughs> personals? Uh, no, actually, Some I saw you, you a movie saw about that. Is is that when you guys saw a movie and fell asleep on each other? <laughs> Die hard! <laughs> Die hard! That was the second day. The, um, the, the, the fact of the matter is is that I, when I was listening, to, of course, to uh, Back to the Bins, and um, I've, I've been writing into them, not, not just familiar. here, but Star Trek Monthly Monday, and a lot of the you know the stuff that they've been doing uh, back then, and I noticed that as much as I wrote in, this guy Tim Elliott wrote in even more, and he kept talking about the same things I was talking about, and I'm like so, and then it, there was a they mentioned that Tim was from Carrollton, which is like 30 minutes away from where I live, and so I I just reached out to him on Facebook and I said, hey, you don't know me, but you know I'm single. And I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to mingle. <laughs> I just said, you have you know, snap? I like, I, I'm interested in starting a podcast, you know, maybe something with the, the two true freaks. And so we met 
at uh, the the IHOP, and we talked for like three hours, and it wasn't like wow, Tim, that was very brave. It wasn't of you. like meeting just you know some stranger. It was during a day. There were a lot of yeah. people around. Yeah. Okay. But it was, okay. It, and and Funilla was in the other boat. Uh, other booth with a, I was with a menu with eyes cut out looking. <laughs> but it was like meeting an old friend and just picking up in the middle of a conversation. Yeah. And we said... Isn't and that we, awesome? And, and the, the show has been that. like that from from the very beginning. And, and it was really gratifying to hear the first responses where people just talked about the chemistry we had uh, and, you know, and how the show went. So it, yeah. it's made this a very fun show to do. And so, you know, I, I just can't say yeah, enough about absolutely. them. And, of course, they want me to shut up. So uh, I'll let it go at that. But thank you all very much. Awesome. <laughs> all right. And we're out, right? No, not yet. we got to <laughs> say goodbye for everybody. First, I'm, <laughs> oh, I not really. I mean, we okay. said thank you to everybody. But now we're going to say goodbye. Uh, again, Nigel, thank you so for much for joining us. I'm sure we'll find reason to get you on again. You could also just, you know, shoot us a reason to have you on again. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. It's been and a pleasure. Gene, same. Right. Right back at you. You're always welcome. Just let us know what you want to talk about, or we'll throw through you. Yeah. Well, it's always a fun time when I come on. I, I appreciate you guys. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, if you ever if you ever start up anime freaks again, then uh, I throw my hat in. But I'll whatever you want to talk about. Um, and the yeah, used to be a big yeah, anime Gene, fan. Did, yeah. Did you ever, you ever finish that show with uh, Bill? I, what the heck was Star that? Star Losers. Was it Starblade? Yeah. What happened to that? Well, we, we ran through the first season of the original, and then we shifted on to other stuff that we ended up kind of dying. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, apparently neither of us was a huge fan of Attack on Titan, which is one of the shows we were trying to cover. And that oh, kinda, my God. I watched killed the whole interest. thing. I watched the whole thing. My I son, my son yeah, makes well, me watch that one. Isn't this the greatest show ever? It's good. What I think I can get Bill back on with, though, is Star Blazers twenty one ninety nine. I've been watching that. Yeah. That is just I haven't that, seen that one yet. Well, basically, take the original Star Blazers, fill in every single plot hole that you could possibly think of, mm-hmm. expand the story by like fifty so times, and give it modern George animation. George Lucas is producing this. Is that what's going on? <laughs> no, Sounds like no. Him. I'm saying that they did it yeah. properly. They <laughs> compressed the story. They they what they did is they took it Thank you, and made it. They took my original favorite anime series and made my new favorite anime series. <laughs> yep, I'm gonna have to follow up on Let's that. Check it out. Alrighty, well, we want to thank you all for coming to listen to us the 100th time. Uh, for the whole group, uh, we've got here Tim Elliott. Say goodnight, Tim. David Good John night. Thompson. I almost said Johnson. <laughs> what? <laughs> I haven't drunk uh, at all tonight. Wow. I'm not buying that at all, and I haven't. <laughs> okay. And then there's John Hyatt. Good night, all. Goodbye, all. Thanks and for joining Kurt us. Greenfield. Thanks very much, Nigel, and of course, Gene. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. All right, everybody. Thank you. We'll be back soon. Good night. Thanks for listening. 
You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. (laughs) 